See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. It, it, it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derrick Podcast. Is there a dog here? There's no, not that I know of. Oh, I is thought that, that was a leash. It is a... a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to make a terrible joke. <laughs> um, it is for, uh, uh, let's make sure we got everything checked out. Cool. It is a, a hammock strap. Ah, so very similar to a lead. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sweet deal. All right, I think we're good. Um, yeah, I have a, a hammock oh, cool. from Brazil. Okay, we are going there. That's better. And you can see the markings on the wall. Um, yes. Sometimes I have friends come visit. For, I don't know. It's almost like Elena. So I'll just hang it up from. It was my. It's a proud moment for me. Uh-huh. It was my first time negotiating in Portuguese. Oh. Yeah. And my friends always wanted to help. You know, they're very helpful. Yeah. And I was like, I got this. <laughs> and, and I really didn't know how much it was supposed to cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure they were being truthful. And they're like, hey, you did a good job. So Nice. It's like this handmade um, from a market. In Brazil. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. So, hey, welcome. Thank you. Glad Thank you, you for having us. me. Thank you for all of the beverages. <laughs> Would you, <laughs> do you want any more beverages? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I do, hydration is very important to me, so thanks. I'm like, uh, I was like burning up today. I know I over-caffeinated, so I was like, ah, the heart rate starts you're like going sweating, up. And, and you're like, hey, what's up? It was legitimately, that little thing I grabbed was the acai packet. I grabbed it out of the freezer. I'm like, this will cool me off. So I w- um, in addition to like all the other things I do, I'm an actress. And once I took some like fat burners before I went on an audition and mm. I got all cracked out and I was like sweating and I was like super tweaky and I, I was so weird that I was like, Hey, I feel like I have to tell you guys that I took some diet pills before I came in here because in case you guys think I'm on something. <laughs> and they were like, okay. What was the role I, for? I don't know. It was so long ago. <laughs> and I didn't get it, by the way. Shocking. Um, yeah. It wasn't very like a strung out exercise. It, no, no, it wasn't. I feel like it was maybe even for like a music video. I don't know. It was so, so long ago. I just remember being like tweaked out on these diet pills. And I was like, <laughs> what's wrong with me? Yeah, I I feel like my tolerance for some things is not what it used to be, like n- yeah. nootropics. Do you know much about I nootropics? I am interested in them, but no, I don't know a lot about them. I've yeah. been looking at all the like the mud waters and the cachaba. Like I haven't ordered anything yet, but I'm like, this all looks so interesting. The marketing has gotten so good too. It just sucks but you. Part out. of me is like, I could make this myself. I could just order all these things and do it myself. The mud water, I, uh, I did actually reach out to them and I said, Hey, here's what I currently do with my coffee. Yeah. Um, your product looks great. Tell me how it's different. And the guy was super honest and responded. He's like, basically you would just be paying us to do everything you already do for you. Okay. Well tell me the benefits because it seems super beneficial. And do you add it in, do you add the, the mushrooms into your coffee? Cause in my head I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Like it's supposed to be a coffee replacement. But I was like, I'll just add it in. That's what I did. And it was like basically useless because it was like already, st- I basically saved five minutes every morning. And I'm like, that was the most expensive time saver ever. So okay. um, it's a good product. I have some friends that use it yeah. and they like it, but I already, I kind of like part of my routine. I kind of like 
making my morning elixir with yeah. all the different things. So, what do you put in it? Uh, yeah, it's kind of changed a little bit recently. Okay. Because I'm experimenting with the different types. I have a liquid mushroom. Ooh. It has like six different, I think it's called six mushroom. Okay. It's got like reishi, chaga, the cordyceps, like all the different mushrooms. I put turmeric in it. Nice. Uh, we've been doing that for a while. I recently stopped doing the, um, and I learned this in Brazil. It's kind of funny when I came back, people were like, oh, you make bulletproof coffee. And I was like, what's that? Oh, butter and MCT oil. They put butter in their coffee kind of, right? Not everybody, but a certain percentage of people do. Yeah. And I, I learned that there um, because milk is very different there. Hmm. And so like they have like shelf stable milk where it's just in a box. It's because they don't put, well, because they don't put all the stuff that we put in it. So I have a theory. How old are you? Uh, 35. Okay. Oh, you're a baby. I was like, how old am I? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm 44. So I remember the, between the time I went to high school and my brother, who's six years younger than me, and the time he went to high school, I went with my mom to go pick him up one day or for some reason we were at his school and I was like, why do all the girls have like the biggest boobs in the world? Like all these middle, like high school girls, they're like, Rawr. and I was like, how did how, how did that happen? And my mom was like, because of all the hormones in the milk that these kids all drink coming up. Because when we were younger, my mom would order milk directly from like the dairy and it would be non-pasteurized, blah, 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 whatever. And um, raw milk, we used to get raw milk. That's what it was. Yeah. And she was like, it's because we, you guys didn't grow up drinking hormonal milk. And she was like, sorry, if that's what you were going for. That's our food system, especially in the U.S. Yeah. There's so much to it. I had a friend, um, to make this like the Brazil themed intro, I guess, but I, was, I had some friends visiting from just, Brazil. It was perfect. Hey, yeah. that's actually, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, uh, spot on. All I did call, I recently called 10th planet, like American jujitsu, trying to describe it to some someone. people. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's been called that. We've been told that we're not like, it's not real jujitsu. We're grappling. We're, you know, we're like a, American jujitsu. Like it's whatever. I'm yeah, trying, and there's a lot of trigger words, and I'm sure like not being. I'm sure some people get really super, upset about it. I, yeah. I'm sure I did when I was like a blue belt. I don't care anymore. I'm like whatever. See, well, getting offended like what triggers right. people is interesting. Yeah. Whether it's faith, which I think is on our agenda for today. Yes, I want to talk about why you have those books. <laughs> this sounds interesting to me. I love I love reading things. So, uh, but I, I had a friend from Brazil visiting. She's a nutritionist. And after a couple of days here, she's like, Derek, it's so hard to find What's up with your food? food? Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I read the ingredients of everything. And she said, everything has sugar. Yes. Yes. One of my girlfriends was visiting from Canada and we went and got coffee and she was like, I just want coffee and coconut milk. And she started drinking it and she was like, they, they put sugar in it. I was like, nope, that's, we, our coconut milk has sugar in it. Like there's nothing in America that doesn't have sugar in it. Why is that? Because I, I read something one day that I was like, that's so correct. And I think it was a Japanese person talking about our palate. Mm -hmm. And like everything has to be intense in America. Mm -hmm. Like we can't, <laughs> we can't just like subtly be like, oh, that's, that's a delicious flavor that I just want to like small bite of and, you know, let it sit on my tongue and I'll, you know enjoy it and then move on with my life. Like, no, we have to have the intensity. It's got to smack you in the face. It's got to be big. It's got to be large. And so our taste buds have evolved to this like gigantic thing. Like if you go to Mexico and you get fruit, you're like, oh, why, why is this fruit so like real? And why is it not mm -hmm. intense? <laughs> like, 
are the ones, the stuff we get at home. How come this banana only weighs like a normal (laughs) amount of weight? Why is it not a seven pound (laughs) banana that I have to carry in a cart out of the, we do go big on stuff on the palate thing. So it's been a while since I looked at, we have a lot of weird stuff like our, our plates. Yes. The average size of our, just our plate size, like that you would buy in a store is drastically larger than the rest of the world. Um, Sugar is very addictive. Can we talk about big gulps that people have in their cars? Oh, like that's what? like they should just put an American flag on the side of those things. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and nobody drinks water unless you're into fitness. Yeah. Which is so weird. I, I mean, these are this is a new thing because I'm trying to spice up my palate because I've okay. been known for being quote unquote robotic in other people's words about really only drinking water and coffee. And it's a sugar is a big topic, but I found just from even doing this, like the things that would have a strong impact on me now, yeah, seem more normal. And I also find myself just trying to introduce more fun drinks. Like I bought sure. some apple cider concentrate, mixed it with some pineapple juice. Interesting, really good by the way. Okay, and because I wanted like an evening drink that wasn't water to like maybe curb some of those cravings. All it's done is make me crave more. Yeah, for sure. It's not been like... That's what sugar does. Okay, now you're good. Like, you got your little sweet tooth fix. It's like, well, that was good. What else is in the freezer? Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Like, we have we have no chill. In America, that's just who we are. We have no chill. Well, that's where I was before on the, on the robotic side is like so extreme. Like, if it's not water and it's not coffee, it's not going in my body. Yeah. To like, Kool-Aid looks good again. It's not that bad, <laughs> but... I mean, I actually did grow up on Kool-Aid, which Ooh, yeah, is essentially we all like food dye and yeah. sugar. Yeah. I don't know how I What about the sugar survived. sticks? They were like, here's a packet of Kool-Aid and a sugar stick. Why don't you dip it in there and like swish it around and then eat it? I don't know about the sugar stick. <laughs> the fun dips? Oh, little packets of, yeah. <laughs> well, it's amazing that we're all still alive at this point. We're very resilient as children. Um, well, that's fantastic. So how long... How long have I feel like I know some of these things, yeah. but I want to get them super sure. clear because you're not from San Diego. I am not. You're from, are you from LA? Kind of. I was born in Northern California, did most of my growing up in Southern California. And then I've been back in, I, my family moved to Arizona, moved back in my early twenties. And then I've been back in LA ever since then. Well, so I consider myself. Yeah. California kid. Yeah. From well, LA. Um, from LA. Yeah. I know. I just kind of pick, like, when people were to say, like, where are you from? I like to say, like, mostly Earth, but I haven't really. <laughs> By the way, when I told my husband the name of your podcast, I was like, I'm going to go be on a podcast. And he was like, cool. So who is it? And I was like, uh, Human Derek. And he goes, clearly he's an alien. <laughs> <laughs> the secret is out. Yeah. It's like the disguise isn't working anymore. I think I used to massage an alien when I was a massage therapist. Okay, let's I, talk about yes. that. Yes. Okay, but, but uh, what was your, we'll get back, we'll circle. Or no, do you want to go into the alien? Okay, so I believe in aliens, obviously, I train at 10th planet. Um, are we frozen? Uh, it'll, I think we're good. Okay, so um, I totally believe in aliens, but I think they are among us and like integrate with us. So I used to massage this guy. He was so interesting, but it was almost like he didn't know how to be human. Um, he had this aura about him that like he would walk in the room and all he, to, to me, he reminded me of the Doors singer. What was his name? I'm so terrible. Like okay. classic American music. So he kind of looked like he had the, you know, the curly hair and he was big, but like he didn't know how to be, he, he was so strange and I would have conversations with him and I'd be like, bro, what is up with you? Why are you so weird? But like he'd walk in the room and all the women would be like, oh. 
I was like, what's up with you guys? Okay. And then his the way his skin felt <laughs> on his body, I was like, I don't. It was like he was practicing being human, wearing a human suit. And like he didn't, he was the sweetest person, but like didn't really have um, a huge like social intelligence. Mm. He was writing a play and it was a, he was, he was a white presenting person. He looked very Caucasian. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, oh, I'm writing a play. I was like, that's cool. And I went to go watch it. And then he came back to get a massage and I was like, um, what's up with your play? And he was like, well, I wrote it phonetically. It was an urban play. So it was for kids, for teenagers who were like Latin and black, but he wrote it phonetically. So instead of naturally letting them use, uh, like slang, he wrote it down to like the phonetics, like I'm going to go to the store and I'm like, you can't do that. What? It, don't do that. It's very <laughs> weird and inappropriate. Don't do that. And he was like, no, I'm just going to write it out. And I was like, no. I mean, I'll give him credit for being authentic. <laughs> like, he just really went for it. He did. And I was like, I don't think you should do that. But he's like, no, it's fine. And it, other things, like he would just, he worked in a very corporate office, but like, you'd never know it. He would come in and I'm like, what's up, bro? Did you just do yoga? And he's like, no, this is just, you know, so I'm, I'm rolling. <laughs> okay. This is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, you have me slightly concerned about the skin suit, but... It felt strange. I don't know how to explain it. I touched a lot of bodies when I was a massage therapist, <laughs> and his felt different. But I can also pick out people who are vegan when I'm massaging them, mm. when I was massaging them. It's a uh, texture thing. They have Vegans have different texture. The muscles are a little bit more pliable and soft, even if the really muscly people who are like, you know, in really good shape and have big muscle, it has nothing to do with the size, but like the texture of them is squishier. So the, the way I usually describe it to people, I did, I haven't had this conversation in years, but if you've ever held a baby who is formula fed and a baby who is breastfed, mm. a breastfed baby is really squishy. <laughs> That's the difference. Breastfed baby, And I think squishy. it might be potassium levels. Yes. I don't know. That's what somebody explained to me once and I was like, sure, I'll go with it. I don't know what that Can means. Can you just eat a lot of bananas? I don't know. Because I don't know what they meant. They were like, oh, vegans feel like that because of potassium levels. And it seemed smart. And like I was like, fine, cool. I'll just repeat it. But I still don't know what Isn't it means. Isn't that great how that works sometimes where people yeah. are like, this YouTube video or this clip yeah. or something, like it was very intelligent. So I'm going to repeat it. You're like, right. Yeah. At least you're like, I don't know if it's true or not. It made me think of uh, Tom Brady because he's- Is he vegan? Vegan. I always think of, oh, what's that fighter? Jake Shields. I've never met him in person, but right. I really want to. I know a lot of people that do know him. And, like, and I just, yeah, he's vegan. So like yeah. when I meet him, I just want to be like, hey, Jake, can I feel your arm? <laughs> I don't, for a guy like that, I mean, I've only seen like photos of him, but I think it'd be pretty normal. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. give it a squeeze. The uh, But like Tom Brady is kind of like, to me, what I, I'm not like I'm like stalking his photos, but it seems like sort of a dad bod. I mean, he is. Does he? I don't know. I've never, something. I don't really. He's, he doesn't check, have that. Check him like, out. He's not my type. And he's not like a ripped, jacked guy, but yeah. he's over 40 playing in the NFL, which. Makes sense. I would, you don't want to be super muscly, right? Really? Muscles. We'll think about really good UFC fighters or MMA fighters. Mm -hmm. Really big, bulky muscles are A, really heavy to carry around. Mm -hmm. And you have to work really hard to keep them pliable and flexible. So in a situation like Tom Brady, and I'm, somebody will probably be like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Fine. Um, I'm 
going to make an educated guess that because he takes so much impact, because he needs to actually be very flexible with his, um, his vegan body. Yeah. Or his, his, uh, like his ligaments need to be a little bit more flexible than the average mm. person who doesn't get tackled. Right. For, I know a jujitsu guy, he's a brown belt. He's amazing. Um, Ronnie, what's up? Um, his ankles, he's impossible to heel hook. He is a motorcycle, a trick motorcycle rider. So he goes out to the desert and does the big jumps and then lands. And we all have a theory that the reason why he's so flexible is because of the impact on his ankles, because he has to like tense up right when he's about to land. Mm. And when his, his bike hits, right, there's like extra pressure. And so he flexes, but his body has to have like natural shock, mm. sh shock absorbers. So that's probably why in my... um not professional guessing that maybe Tom Brady has that, or he's just lazy and doesn't work out. Sounds very logical. Yeah. I find that I developed theories in life and then I'll bring them up to somebody. <laughs> and sometimes they go like, Hey, there's actually some science on that. Yeah. And then sometimes they're like, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Um, this ankle theory sounds very reasonable. Yeah, right. Well, well thought out. Obviously some... My husband came up with it, by the way. It's a good discussion. But then Ronnie, when I brought it up to Ronnie, he was like, no, I have that same theory about my ankles. Because none of us can heel hook him. He's super hard to heel hook. like 10 pounds or something like that of like because yeah. i don't really have a lot of fat was the point so it was like mostly muscle yeah and i i know that it like my body and my obviously it was like a personal thing like me trying to push as hard as what i had expected from myself yeah and it wasn't there and it backfired and ripped my that sounds reasonable my knee up but yeah. at the same time being pliable sounds nice so maybe that's the way to go vegan muscles maybe make me soft yeah i i like meat too are much you, no, you, i'm not okay no. Um, no, but I have, like, when you feel, like, I don't have soft muscles. I'm not, like, super buff, but, mm -hmm. like, I remember a doctor grabbed my arm once, and she was like, wow. <laughs> she was like, you're kind of solid. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, like, density to yeah. it, too. But that's what comes from the meat, I think. You think it comes from meat? Yeah. The, maybe there's something to be said for that, because, um, like, I think of my grandma, and she's just, like, she's a pretty pretty big woman and she's like a yeah. meat and potatoes kind of person and yeah people look at me and they look at the rest of my family and they're like what happened like where's the rest of you yeah you well know? then you have to layer in like what are you eating are you only eating meat and potatoes or are you eating mm. meat and potatoes and sugar and salt and you know fried food and you know what i mean crap like that yeah the good stuff yeah um okay so you're from what part of northern california i was born in san jose i grew up in a small town in la um called monrovia and it's just east of pasadena okay I know Northern California very well. Um, how long have you been into jujitsu? Twelve. Th this will be my thirteenth year. I started in two thousand and eight, all with Eddie Bravo. So I didn't know. The quick story is I didn't know anything about jujitsu. I knew about kickboxing. I was a boxing and kickboxing fan. My brother got into kickboxing when he was in college. He called me and he was like, "Oh my God, Randy Couture has a gym in, in Hollywood. You got to go." And I was like, "Yeah, cool. Sounds good." Um, I wanted to do kickboxing. It was fun when I would go to class with him. And he used to train with uh, Rick Rufus in Tempe. Rick Rufus is Duke Rufus's brother. So, like, I took my first kickboxing class from Rick. 
So DJ was like, okay, you got to go um, join. So I went and joined Legends. And at the time, Randy Couture's name was on the, like, the awning, but he was never there. Like, he wasn't mm-hmm. part of it. Like, I think somebody just paid him for some marketing and, like, then never saw him again. Um, but I went and joined Randy Couture's gym, which was leg- Legends. So I was taking kickboxing and the cardio MMA class, which was, like, hitting bags and doing shots. And, like, nobody ever explained any context. Um I remember somebody, one of the guys showed me how to do a shot, a single leg. And I I was like, that is not information that I will ever need at any point in my life. So then fast forward, yeah. um, one of the girls and I, after kickboxing class one day, people were like, oh, you know, that guy, Eddie, he's like famous. People come and train with him. And I was like, that dude with the long hair and the tattoo, like that he's the, he's the fight coach of you know, that everybody likes to train with. And they were like, yeah, but he was really cool and friendly. So... One day after class, me and Charlene, who I'm still friends with, she's a brown belt under Cobrini now, we were standing outside of Eddie's class because it's the same class. We got off the mats. Jiu-Jitsu was starting. And she goes, hey, Eddie, can we take your class? And he goes, yep, get on the mats. We had no idea. Like nobody ever like gave us a, a demo, explained anything to us. Uh, they were just dudes that were like doing shit. So we I, did it. And then it was kind of fun, even though we didn't understand what we were doing. And I just kept coming back. And 12 years later, I got a black belt. <laughs> that's that's huge. So, I mean, how many, um, do you know how many black belts there are under the 10 planet system? Yes, because I actually keep track for Eddie. I am, I'm the, so I'm the 10 okay. planet mom is probably the best way you can describe it. When I started, not a lot of girls stuck around like they'd they'd join and then they'd leave or they'd break up with their boyfriend and then it train or something happened so i was like the most consistent girl and eddie's eddie so like i would be the one that like well donna will do it hey donna can you hey hey, can you handle this hey Mm. donna will keep track of that well donna's in charge of that so i by default became like the 10th and it's just kind of my personality i'm very like some might call me bossy i think i have good leadership skills so um (laughs) like it just it kind of like unfolded and then when he started promoting black belts then i just started keeping track of them so we have i haven't updated it in the last two months and a whole bunch of guys have just been promoted so we're in the 150 60 ish range so of all the 10th planet practitioners on on the planet i guess you could say on this planet which is like third or fourth planet uh there's 150 ish how many are women Eight. Wow. Yeah. So Kim you Ferguson. Are, okay. Liz Carmouche. Lila Smaja. Uh, Elvira Carpinian. We call her Elu. Um, Lindsay McCaffrin. Grace Gundrum, who's also the youngest black belt. She, she's amazing. She uh, me and then Fabiana George just got hers two weeks ago. So you're in like an elite small group of an already. Yeah small group percentage of people on the planet that yeah that must feel pretty great it's pretty cool especially being one there were no black belts when i started at 10th planet like no dudes nothing like eddie was it he had a couple purple and brown belts and so back then it was like they were like oh my god they're ninjas mm-hmm. right so that it didn't even exist so to be part of the very beginning and then now there's 200 moons we call our schools moons because 10th planet is HQ, right? Mm-hmm. So every school is a moon. We have 200 moons around the world. And uh, it, yeah, it's really cool. 
how much do you know about this Nibiru 10 planet? Like the actual story behind I it? I don't know. I've, what I've heard Eddie talk about <laughs> and what I've seen on the internet, not much. That's about yeah. the extent of my knowledge too. So yeah. we won't dive down that uh, space hole, I guess we'll call yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, apparently it's a planet some like behind Pluto or something like that. And Nibiru, I know that we call ourselves Nibiru warriors. I don't know how that got started years ago. I don't even know if we still do it. Sounds like a good yeah. trip. It's fun. Well, do you like that, by the way? It's yummy. Okay. They're all yummy. Yeah, good. Yeah. When you started, so you said 12, 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I th- part of me inviting you, I just really kind of curious about a lot of things. And, and I am consistently promoting to family, yep. friends, the benefits of one, just being equipped with self-defense as a person that mm-hmm. has to walk around and, and live and especially how strange the world got in the last year yeah and also just seeing multiple sides of a, of a coin quite often and hearing stories from women about you know th- sometimes just not feeling safe mm-hmm. being outside in places that i couldn't imagine <sighs> that's one of those questions that you know girls from the time you hit puberty we're just we're taught that the world can be a scary place. I mean, because girls start getting hit on by grown men at like such a ridiculous age. It's like, what? I remember going to buy candy. I was maybe 12 years old and some kid in his, he he was an adult man. He was like in his twenties was like, can I have your phone number? And I was like, I'm 12. What the fuck? <laughs> can I say, or is this a family friendly? Okay. I mean, um, we'll have to put an explicit yeah, warning sorry. on this one. You're good. Just um, do your thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember back then being like, what the hell? But like, I went to middle school with girls that were having sex, that had been raped, like you name it. And then now as a jujitsu, so how the whole self-defense thing, not, like 10th Planet self-defense didn't exist. And it was kind of funny because I wanted a class. And at that time, um, I love Eddie and, you know, I've earned I've earned his respect as a coach back then. I was like, I want a class. And he was like, no, no, you're mm-hmm. not teaching. And I was like, come on, give me a class. And he's like, why don't you do a women's self-defense? And I was like, fine, I'll do a women's self-defense. But then it turned into something like really cool. And we got all these women to come into the sport and like it became Lila and I started it and it became our mission. We were like, oh no, this is our thing now. Like we're going to bring women into the sport. And over the last six years, we've had so many stories of women. Like the stuff that I've heard, I'm just like, come on. Just the the behavior that women have to put up with and what we're taught from a you're, – you're just taught – like you have to protect yourself from such an early age. So the world, yes, is very scary, but man, like it's embedded in who in who we are, at least in our society. Yeah, I, I hear that and it makes me think like uh, when I was like a knucklehead growing up. So I literally yeah. in my – where did you grow up? Uh, to a, a lot of places. I don't even, I still question sometimes. I'm like, I feel <laughs> like an adult, but also there's a little part of me that just loves play. And I think, totally. we're, supposed to, I think we're supposed to yeah. latch on to that and not yeah. give that up. Um, I lived in Northern California a lot. Uh, Stockton. Nice. Sacramento, Vegas. Vegas is not in California, but last time I counted, it was like 17 cities. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like Washington State. Are your parents in the military? That's like the I mean, first, that's, that's generally the first. I usually say nomads or gypsies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like joke around and say my mom was running from the cops, but it's not really a joke. So there's that. Uh, they used to have this thing called, this will date me a little bit. And since we're, you know. I'm older than you. Yeah. So, uh, or maybe you ran in healthier circles than my family, but there was this thing called check kiting. 
Oh yeah. Okay. So sure. Back I, know, in the day I mean, when I know what it is. Yeah. Financial institutions are a little slower. My mom managed a bank. You could write a yeah. check and then write another check, like have multiple bank accounts to cover the other check. Yeah. And I think my mom just did that so many places that she's like ran out of places to do it. So interesting. Uh, yeah. So we were in a constant rebuilding phase, mm-hmm. but uh, um, the but I used to drive around like when I was like sixteen. I had boxing gloves in my truck. Okay. And it would just be a like normal thing for us to do to break them out and beat each other up. And so the idea of, you know, I didn't really, younger sisters and stuff like that. So I was constantly very protective of them, Mm -hmm. but I never thought about them having, it was always like they're fragile young women. So I never thought about them being equipped to actually defend themselves. Yeah. And it seems like whether it's jujitsu or something. I mean, I'm a little bit partial to jujitsu because of Me too. what I, I mean, it, it seems like you can be a really good female kickboxer, but if you know how to throw an arm bar on someone, like yeah. you're in a little bit better position. Well, so Eddie has a joke um, that is kind of crass, but very accurate. And it's that rapists don't box, they wrestle. Wow. That's pretty, pretty intense. But. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. And I, I teach that when I teach my seminars and what I teach is, what I'm learning. I'm working with a new self-defense partner. I've had a whole bunch of opportunities come up recently that I'm like, this is so cool where I'm getting to expand my self-defense knowledge as a, in a student and an instructor. So I'm working with this new person. His name is Greg Frazier. We're doing some really cool things together. And, uh, I'm learning that what I teach is very specifically social self-defense, which is different than like worrying about being kidnapped and human trafficked across you know, mm. borders and things, things like that. So, uh, to go back to what you say, yes, like you don't think about girls doing that, but I have a theory. I don't know how accurate it is, but I w- additionally, well, jujitsu and combat sports makes women and girls feel more empowered and strong and capable. It also makes boys and men more peaceful. Oh, I absolutely agree with that. I picked up a book just thinking about um, uh, recording this with you today. I picked up a book, something Maticus, and it's called About Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, interesting. I want to read good. it. I will, yeah. Pat, if you want to take it, I just read the first You have chapters. so many books around here. We got to talk about all, like I not all, not, we don't have time. But. Got a couple of them. Yeah. Um, and this one, I only read the first maybe five or six pages. It was good kind of thoughts before sleep. Mm-hmm. And it was that, and it was a good reminder too, because it, for for one person it's jujitsu, for another person maybe it's business, for another person it's art. Mm-hmm. But it's basically the the concept of dedicating to yourself to something like wholeheartedly and like revealing yourself to yourself, yeah. essentially like coming into who you are as a person. Yeah. And it said jujitsu by and far surpasses so many things because of the mental aspect. I mean, it's like a chess game once you start doing mm-hmm. it. Uh, the physical aspect, like how you show up physically and mentally matters, the emotions you yep. work through. We were talking uh, about, uh, before we started, you know, about uh, me having been in a lot of street fights. And so I just naturally had a sense of calm yeah. coming into it. And that's something to develop that I think is really great in life too. Mm-hmm. So there's so many um, benefits. H- how is it changed you for the better oh wow so so many ways um it gave me purpose which you know i i started 
I was living in LA at the time, pursuing acting, and that's a very you only interact with people in acting when like they can do something for you. So, you know, it's a very shallow world that you live in. And then I walk into this situation, this community where people, they didn't want anything from me. Like literally it was like, you could be put one part of us. You want, you want to come and learn how to break arms? Cool. They didn't want anything from me. They didn't expect anything from me. And I, it was just good enough for me to show up and like be cool. So, um, having, you know what I mean? That's a, that's a big thing in, mm -hmm. in LA. I mean, I lived there for so long. I'm, I'm sure it's like that in other places, but that's a big thing in LA to like go to a place where like people don't want anything from you or there's no expectations or you, you don't have to be cool enough or, you know, and there are places in jujitsu that like you gotta be good and there, you know, there's a hierarchy now. But back then when I was starting off, like it was like, you want to show up and do this? Like you want to be one of the weirdos? Come on, let's go. Um, so it gave me purpose. It gave me this thing that I was like, I want to bring people into the sport. I want everybody to feel what I'm feeling because it's so amazing. And it turned into my entire life. It uh, gave me, so just like you were saying, in jujitsu, there's no hiding from yourself. It will teach you the best and the worst parts about exactly who you are and you have no choice but to deal with them. That's it. Like you can't lie on the mats. You can lie everywhere else. You can talk your way through almost any situation in life. You cannot lie your way through jujitsu. You have to be present. You have to admit when you are beat or else you're going to sleep or you're breaking something. Mm -hmm. You have to humble the fuck out of yourself. And at the same time, you get to feel how amazing and badass and powerful you are because there, there are times, you know what I mean? Like when I you know, tap out a grown man. Yeah, motherfucker. That's right. That's right. And then when I get tapped out by a little tiny girl who, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I have to be like, yeah. Yep. Good for you. I think that's part of what scares people sometimes too. Like people thinking about just getting into it. Yep. Uh, is that, that resistance to like, well, what if I get hurt and mm -hmm. all of that? And you wouldn't 1000% will get hurt. Yeah. 1000%. And how, <laughs> and the severity of it, um, I think it really matters choosing a good gym. Mm -hmm. That was actually one of the things that brought me to San Diego is thinking about having bigger opportunity for bigger culture, being around larger thinkers mm -hmm. in a sense, um, that, you know, you're talking about hierarchies and all these different things Like you can really find your group, I think anywhere you go, but when you are in a a larger place. I think if you're a smaller place, you have to kind of create your own group yeah. sometimes. Um, but how did you, so LA, San Diego, how have you found the move in terms of like finding your group here? I think people attract, you know what I mean? Like you just, your vibe. I know it's like super cheesy, but it's true. You kind of attract your, your vibe, right? Um, so through jujitsu, through gym culture and life, I've met people. I met Junior, who was on your podcast not too long ago. Mm -hmm. Through Junior, I met Greg. And I'm like, oh, cool. Now I get this whole like new self-defense education that I wasn't getting before. And then I get to go to junior school and, and do training. And then I, I have some friends down here who I reconnected with. My first two training partners in 10th Planet, two female training partners, um, one of them lives down here and one of them's or in Orange County. And then during the pandemic, we reconnected by starting to text each other and there was nothing to do. So we were like, well, let's all meet up at the beach. So we had all go to the beach together. And now uh, we have like this reconnection and our friendship. And then when you start meeting people 
or reconnecting with people. Like I've said, just, you know, that's, you start attracting people and then that's, I'm one of those, uh, I can make friends anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I have my husband who were super opposite. He is not a social person, but he is super understanding that I am a social person. Mm. So, um, we've both made some really good connections down here that like suits our levels of comfortability. Hmm. Do, have you ever had a, a B12 injection? Uh, I've had injections with vitamins. I can't remember if it was B vitamins or not, though. Oh my god, it's amazing! Is it? Do you just get amped up? Yeah, like you just you're like that stuff scares like me for like, yeah. Right now, I'm like <laughs> I went from like oh, I was already feeling good to like what just happened on my brain like yeah. rocket ship. So that whatever's in here, that's cool. Good job, you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm a little extra perky. Yeah, I'm pretty perky generally. Oh, that's cool. I you know some of the injections and stuff. Uh, anything too concentrated? Yeah, I get weary of. Because of thinking of our body as like a system, so like kidneys, liver, mm. and I never about that. yeah, we're only designed to like handle so much. Yeah, and too much of a good thing can be bad. So I, I like some of it. I know it has benefits, especially if you. I don't know if you're like in your seventies and your body doesn't absorb something, or one of the hot topics, you know, finally making its way into normal conversations is about vitamin D and oh, yeah. COVID, and you know, even though like South Korea had this research a while ago. But you, um, the you know they have studies on like ob- obesity and not being able to absorb. So you can take all the vitamin D. Oh, I haven't heard this. Too. Really, that's interesting. Yeah. So like you, um, bioavailability. There's like so many components of it to get enough and how you take it. That uh, wait. So if you're overweight, it's harder for your body to absorb vitamin D, even though you absorb it from the sun. That is what they are saying. And when I say they. I'm really harsh on research, even research that comes out of a top university. I uh-huh. ended up going to UC Davis in my mid-20s, and okay. I worked in a statistic lab. And uh, how do I put this? Because I don't. he might still work in the research field. I had a, a mentor in statistics that one day I was like, well, what about this? And we just changed this number and do that. And he's like, yeah, that's why I'm leaving. He was leaving UC Davis, which is a pretty prominent place to be in charge of research, mm-hmm. to go to a different school. And he said basically that professors, whoever they were funded by, would come to him and say, we need to make these numbers look like this. Yeah. And you can take the same sample of data and have all these different outcomes just from changing how you look at it, like perspective. That makes sense. And so anytime I see research, I'm like, okay, that's really good research, but who's it funded by? Oh, it's like the National Institute of Health. Well, who funds the National Institute of Health? Oh, it's Coca-Cola. Right. Isn't that how like low fat? All like that's why in the 80s and the 90s, like the whole low fat craze, and then everybody was just eating sugar and carbs. Mm-hmm. And they're like, No, don't eat fat. And like, if you know anything about nutrition, you're like, But you're supposed to. It's so confusing. And then there's individual mm-hmm. biochemistry. You know, I do really enjoy, from my own personal experience, the concept of eating sort of what your ancestors ate, not yeah. necessarily. Like for your blood type or how, where do you stand on the whole blood type? Diet? Kind of, I, I mean, uh, there's a really funny doctor on Instagram that I, I go on his account just to steal his photos and then share them individually with friends. <laughs> and because one of my buddies was working with a trainer recently and he's put on all the weight and he's like, yeah, my trainer wants me to eat more calories so I can put a muscle. And I'm like, dude, like you're telling me you want to lose weight and your trainer wants you to eat more calories. Yeah. So he has all this stuff and it's like, how to lose weight by blood type. 
Right. And it's every, and it's like blood type A, B, whatever. And underneath each one, it just says caloric deficit, caloric deficit, caloric deficit. And that's yeah. like, there's really. I mean, really, that's keto all, like it's. Yeah. Yeah. If you, and I feel like I've experimented a lot of things, sometimes on accident, sometimes just following that gut feeling of like, yeah. I don't think I want to eat any fish right now. For some reason, it's not calling to me. Um, so where do I stand on it? I think that if somebody's doing something that works and they're consistent with it and yeah. they're happy doing it, yeah, that's an awesome plan. I'm with you. Yeah. Whatever yeah. What is about, like Do you have like a, a thing you follow? <sighs> no, I've done, I mean, like you, I've done it all. Um, I probably feel the best um, just eating healthy. Yeah. I went for a couple of years with like not eating breakfast. And then yeah. people are like, oh, you're going to run fasting. I'm like, oh, I just feel better not eating breakfast. Like, yeah. you can call it what you want, but it feels good. Yeah. And now recently I started eating. I did actually, okay, here's something I did kind of weird lately. Um, Mark Wahlberg and The Rock uh-huh. have these like insane schedules. Yeah. And I already like to wake up really early. So I was like, I'm just going to see, like, I'm, let me check out their plan. Their plan is totally different than everything I've done with exercise. So they wake up and they do cardio. Together? Not together. They, they both like, have do, these very similar. The Rock and yeah. Mark Wahlberg like train <laughs> together or something? That's a good question. Thanks for clarifying <laughs> that. Um, it's separate, but they have very similar schedules, just how they operate as okay. people, which is interesting. Uh, but like wake up and do, I'm doing the rock thing right now. Cause I'm like, that has a crazy amount of energy all the time. He's got yeah. something figured out. So he does, he wakes up and has coffee actually. Okay. And then does cardio, then eats breakfast and then lifts weights. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. K- kind of. I mean, I, I, I know at one point when I was, uh, I went and tried out for the semi-professional football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kind of like felt like doing it. Just for it. funsies? Well, and I tr- I wanted to like kind of test myself. So Wait, I... What, what... Let me guess. Let me guess. I'm about 15 pounds lighter than I was. Actually, okay. more like 25 pounds lighter. Defense? Um, I tried out for running back. What? I, I was no. not going to guess that. No, they... Uh, it was just from like playing with people that had played at a okay. good level. And they were constantly kind of nudging me, like, dude, just go do it. Do you just like to tackle people? That's that's why guys are running backs. Well, I actually am really good at, uh, uh, like, picking the ball. Like, so playing, de- I am really yeah. much better at defense because yeah. I can kind of, like, I would put you on defense plays, plays and so that's where they yeah. want to put me. It was a a good experiment, and they said I could be on the team, but I didn't I didn't enjoy it very much. I was like, I was, I was lined up in a uh, scrimmage. Uh-huh. And the guy on the other side, I'm not very big. And I was like 195, like pretty solid. So You're fast. What's good, what's your time in the 40? Uh, I think it was, it was really good because we're on the grass. And I want to say it was like four, six, which That's was not bad. pretty fast. Yeah. On the grass, they were very yeah. impressed. It was one of, if not the fastest of the day. Nice. Um, but I was, I was training, like the girl I was dating at the time was super unhappy because I was waking up five o'clock in the morning, training, going to work. Uh, and then going to class and then training again. Like I, my whole life was built around it. Yeah. I mean, I was running like 40 yards. I was like constantly doing all the stuff I knew you needed to try out, like yeah. training specifically to be good at those things. Uh, but there Best tryer out ever. Yeah. I was amazing <laughs> at trying out. I smoked all of the, the tests and we get in the scrimmage and there's a guy lined up and he had just finished like the army or something. And he was playing arena football. This guy, mm-hmm. guy was like, he just looked like a monster and that's who I'm lined up against on the other side. And it was the first time in my life that I realized 
Like I didn't want to get hit. Like I've been in a lot of like street fights and stuff yeah. and didn't really mind it. And so they handed the ball to me and the plan was like, you know, go towards this guy essentially. And every time he came at me, I like ran. It was like <laughs> two times in a row. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to get away from that guy. They're like you have to run at him. I'm like, all right, let's try this again. You know? And I just, I'm like, I don't think this sports for me. Like, wait, you were playing offense? Running back is offense. Yeah. No, no, so no I know. The, but why would you have to run towards the guy? Yeah. So they had me on, I was trying out for running back. Uh, yeah. And that's why they would hand the ball off to me. And Right. But then you shouldn't, isn't that like the right thing to do is to avoid the tackler coming at you? They were kind of teaching me these things on the spot. So essentially, yeah, you don't want to go, but you can't outrun, like you have to go with the play. Okay. I was like, like they would be blocking for me. So the way they taught me is like you have your knuckles and then these are called the right. caps like between the knuckles. So they actually had numbers like two, four, six, all this stuff. It's kind of like a Derek, here's your cheat sheet since you've never played before. Yeah. I was like, cool. So they would block like basically these two knuckles be the blockers and I'm supposed to go through the gap yeah. and they would push the guy out, but you're still going to have defenders. So you kind of want to run at least towards him. Like I would legitimately, for those of you that are listening, and not watching, I'm pointing at my hand and the two knuckles on the far end, I'm supposed to run through the middle of them. I would get the ball and see him coming and go that way. <laughs> You're like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm doing like, my own play. I'm really fast. Yeah. Well, even being fast at that yeah. point when you're that dialed in and there's play designs, like everybody's fast. Yeah. So small steps, those things. Like it didn't, like it wasn't like I was outperforming people at such a level that I could make up my own play on the spot. Gotcha. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's a sports for me. Like, I don't, I feel like I valued my brain a lot and I'm not a huge person. So I was like, I'm just yeah. going to. At least I know that I could make it. Like I proved to myself I could do it. I like it. I was a trainer for a football team in college for Phoenix College. I was on the sports medicine team. There you go. What um, what is that? How do you? What do you need to like be qualified for? Like what are the? Uh, At at that junior college level, I needed nothing. I babysat. The head trainer's children. He, we, were, our families were pretty close friends. We were neighbors, and um, I didn't have a plan. So when I graduated high school, like I said, they were very close. I was at their house every single day babysitting their kids, and he was like, "You're going to be on the sports medicine team," and I was like, "Okay." And that, that was cool. yeah. <laughs> that's what I did for two years of college. Huh. That is because uh... you know I liked you know sports and athletes and whatever. Yeah. yeah. So then he told all the guys, he was like, this is my niece. You, you can't date her. So then I was, that was, I just, everybody was like, mm. okay. <laughs> that is pretty cool. What, um, so it seems like you've been in. I've done a lot of different things. Yeah. What else have you done? What else has been exciting for oh, you? Oh gosh. Okay. So sports medicine, I went on t- to get a massage therapy license. Did that for 13 years in LA. Massaged everybody. Athletes, uh, movie stars, you name it. Then what did I do after that? Worked in gyms, did massage, uh, got into jujitsu. Does I do voiceover and voiceover? I've done commentary, um, podcasting. What else? Commercials, things like that. And now I am getting into which is I'm super excited to be talking to you about life coaching and public speaking and motivational speaking. And with the self-defense stuff, I'm kind of like layering all of those things together to be like an empowerment coach. An empowerment coach. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Now, um, there is a little bit, I joke around a little bit because some things get a bad rap over time. 
Cool. I did not spill that. Good job. Very skilled. That was a tough one. And life coaching. Yeah. On one hand, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of it because I think, um, like we were talking about experience with jujitsu, like Mm -hmm. that's a way to kind of be your own life coach, but you really have other people around guiding you through that process. Yeah. And the things you have to do in life, at least in my experience, to show up to something consistently, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, a girl would like break with her boyfriend and like stop coming. Like there's, there's consistently reasons to not do something. Yeah. And to find a reason to do something. I believe that unlocks a lot of levels in life. Like no matter what's going on, I'm going to show up to this commitment and nothing's going to break me of that commitment. Yep. And I, I believe that there are some life coaches that have figured that out, just coaching in general, because coaching is a, a massive um, business practice. And I think that it's really, really great for some people. I also had experiences where I've seen people that I don't think are equipped to do it. Sure. And so it's like kind of, you have to be very particular about choosing one, one that's going to be a great fit for you and one that can bring that value. Now you, I, I don't have any doubt about your ability to give someone guidance. If you can run jujitsu classes of the size that you have run and, and unlock those levels in life, I believe um, you'll be great at it. Have you ever had any experiences with uh, like life coaches or empowerment coaches, a new term. I like that. You mean like me get coaching? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that coaching kind of shows up in different ways. So yeah. I was just talking to somebody about this not too long ago. There are different types of jujitsu coaches and my coaching, my jujitsu coaching and my life coaching are very similar. Like they mm-hmm. very much overlap. And a lot of the ladies that I coach are, I also coach in jujitsu. So, um, yes, there are jujitsu coaches. So Eddie's been my main coach over the years, but then mm-hmm. I've had his guys also be my coach. So Eric Compella Cruz, who is one of the owners at 10th Planet Pasadena, he's always who I refer to as my coach. And Eric is my, my handholder coach. Eddie's not who I go to for like the emotional support. Eddie loves me, but like, he's not going to sit there and hold my hand and like talk me through my hard days. And, but Eric Compella is like, that's the coach that I call when I need like the emotional and the psychological conversations. And then I've had coaches for, I don't know how else to describe them other than they were life coaches, but we were talking about the acting and the psychology in that and like how you approach that and, and what you do. And, you know, I'm a big, I see Tony Robbins right behind you. I went to Tony Robbins, like unleashing the power within loved Mm -hmm. it. I I'm all on board with all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, over the years, coaches have come into my life in different ways, in different types of relationships, but kind of still held that place for me. Yeah. The Tony Robbins thing. That's uh have you been to one of his events? I did go to one and, it really is. I one of someone I really, really respect who's taught me a lot in life. One yeah. time said, like, basically just ripped on Tony Robbins and you coaches. Can. Sure. And I at the time I was like, well, I get where he's coming from because he's operating at this like certain level in life. And the other part was like, it's really helped me. So like, I have to stick to my own story on it. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of value. Like one of the things I like about Tony Robbins is he has his like six human needs. Yep. And if you understand those things and study them and they're not hard to study. I mean, you can just go look at his blog post on him and you go into every single conversation, keeping those in mind. Mm -hmm. There's no mystery, no question. Like what is motivating the other person during that conversation? 
It's a really powerful tool to yeah. have to understand people. Um, but I have recently, I found myself like defending Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, okay. Yeah, because sure. he was someone I didn't wasn't a huge fan of at first. It seemed like very brash and kind of in your face, and um, but he grew on me over time. You know that is. I do. I yeah. yeah. I sometimes I listen to his podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and I uh, there were these guys on a podcast that were just making fun of him, saying, "Oh, like those motivational guys, blah blah blah." And I was looking at kind of their audience and their marketing strategy and going, wow, they've never actually dug deep because they could go pull this 30-minute YouTube clip from him yeah, and probably learn a lot of things that would help them with their venture right now, but they can't get past the the shell, the surface. And I find there's a lot of things like that. You have to dig in a little bit. So with um, Tony, like I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm like not a fan of his. I'm just not super into what he's preaching right now for me where I'm at in life. Like mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot more history and stuff like that, but it might, it might resurface or right? it might come back around and I go, Oh, you know what? I want to revisit this UPW. Like, man, that was a talking about concentration. When did you, when did you go to this event? I went to the Dallas UPW 2019, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was a, um, I went with a friend because we did like the two pair ticket thing where yeah. they're selling. I came out of there and I don't know if it was just from like not eating right and being con- like active from morning till night and just like in a building full of that much just go, go, go. But I, my eyes were like kind of yellowish. It looked like a jaundice. What? And I, I actually uh, like they reach out afterwards to somebody who like yeah. was trying to sell you me need something. A coach. Yeah. yeah. And I was talking to the person. They're like, oh, that's pretty normal. Um, she said, we call that the Tony flu. And yeah. I heard them talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know if it was a story they made up, but it seemed very logical, very reasonable mm-hmm. that when you go through stuff like that, like you unlock so emotion, so much emotion. And I've had so many conversations that a lady, uh, on the podcast named Dr. Rachel, and we talked mm-hmm. about emotions being very physical, Yeah, basically just releasing all these like old garbage emotions. And that was your body, like my body trying to process them. There was so much. That it was like your your liver, yeah, trying to process it all at once. So it's funny that you say that. So I, I mentioned that I've had some self defense opportunities come up. One of the other ones is actually a lady, a friend of mine now, who I met her because she came and well, I met her because I coached her at a tournament once. She was with a couple of the other ladies that I was coaching, and I was like, oh, I'll coach you. Cool, coach her through a match, and we became friends. And then I became one of her coaches and. Turns out she's a somatic therapist, and that uh, the theory behind that is she helps people release the trauma that we store in our bodies because our bodies mm-hmm. store every emotion that we've ever had, which in all the experience that I've had as a massage therapist, like all I completely believe it. I think it's true. And so she and I are actually teaming up mm. to do a series of events for women and where she where she will address the trauma. And walk them or take them through the process of releasing the trauma and like exactly what you just said, um, the detox type situation. And then I will come in and do self-defense and empowerment and and like Mm. helping women find like that power inside of them. So that's one of the things that I 1000% believe in and I'm really excited to kind of start working towards. That sounds incredible. Um, Remind me if, if you're interested before you leave, there's a lady named Tara O'Neill here. Yes. Uh, I'm interested. I want to meet her. Yeah. Since <laughs> you 
pointed out the NLP book. Um, I was just going to ask you about that. Are you certified? She's no, I just, uh, I believe words are super powerful and part of the varied reading that you noticed. Um, I honestly believe most of what we all talk about are the same kind of things, but they have different words for them. Yeah. So like we were talking a little about religion. Uh, so Tara, anyways, by the way, she's a hypnotherapist, but an NLP practitioner. She introduced me to this thing called the polyvagal theory. Ooh, what's that? I don't know yet, but okay. it has to do with what you're talking about. So I'm like more excited to learn more about it. Yeah. Um, there's one called like the releasing the tiger within or something like that. So it has to do with uh, storing emotions and she's like way deep on that. So I yeah. can connect to you guys. I totally that. believe it. I, years of being a massage therapist and like touching people's bodies and like having experiences with them, you know, you touch something. I had a, um, I gave a woman a massage once who had thyroid cancer, neck cancer, something that um, she she felt fine starting the massage and I triggered something during and we released all of this and she, it's the only time it ever happened in 13 years. She became incredibly angry. She got up off the table and she was like, don't ever touch me again. And like I, in that moment, I knew exactly what happened. I was like, oh, because I was working on her neck when mm-hmm. it happened. And I didn't, I'd done a thousand massages at that point. Like I wasn't doing anything that would physically harm her, but we definitely released something in, in her. And it was uh, not that it was cool because clearly she was going through something, but it was interesting. Yeah. It, how familiar are you with yoga? Uh, ish. Yeah. Do you know what I take the, class. the camel poses? When you're like it's that? Kind of like, yeah. So you're <laughs> on your knees and then you can put your hands like on your like lower back. Essentially, yeah. Okay. Butt. Yes. And then you bend backwards and it's called a heart opener. Mm-hmm. So um, different yoga instructors, man, they do it. I'm not a huge fan of yoga unless it's extremely hot. Like I like the yoga mm-hmm. where you feel like you're going to die. Like that's my favorite kind. Yeah. Um, and depending on how the instructor runs a class, now there's like Bikram yoga, which is very structured. Yeah, not a fan. So you hit it at the same. I wasn't a yeah. fan at first, but when I didn't have any other options because yeah. it was the only thing that he was here, it's super grown on me because of the... Okay. The fact that you're constantly doing the same thing, which is I like variety. I'm high on variety, uh, but it's it's won me over for sure. Okay. Um, but the first like first time I did the camel pose, it unlocks so much because it's a heart opener, and it's yeah. just like boom. And you could feel the rush, and sometimes they talk about it like, oh, you know, you may feel a little bit like this or like that. Um, when I moved here, kind of did it like I don't want to say rapidly. I planned it out and everything, and. Um, I live a lot of places and usually like just meet people really fast. But when I first moved here, I was like traveling a bunch and then super deep in business. And I'm like no social time. And I go to this yoga class and I f- think finally, probably like six months into like, me living here, it was like I was in this yoga class, super intense. And then the yoga instructor, like one of my favorite things I heard about camel pose was this instructor that was like just beating us up on a Saturday or Sunday morning. And she's like, all right, now we're going to do the camel pose. Like, this is a pose that changes people and like, or changes you. Cause you can come out of it sometimes like feeling like, wow, that I was, believe it. um, so I hit this pose and it was, I think it was the first time I ever felt like I wanted to cry in a yoga class. And I legitimately just rolled over on my side afterwards and was like, I, I couldn't like some people can't that haven't really done like push themselves, maybe experience it in jujitsu, but like yeah. 
don't understand. Like I was pushing myself mentally and physically so hard. Then you gave it this emotion and it all just hit me. Like you've been here for six months. Like you haven't really slowed down. Slowed? I don't think that's a word. Slowed down? Slowed. Sl- I think slowed is like a name that people use sometimes. But, uh, and it was, but it was cool because it was like, it was almost like really intense therapy or something that I'd imagined, but I it was it. instant. And then I got my lesson out of it. Yeah. And then I was um, good to go. But I, and, and that pose was challenging for a bit. Now I find um, that when I come out of like a 90 minute hot yoga class, I can pretty much tell myself exactly where I am in life, like what I need to work on, what it's really like gotten to this point where um, it teaches me things like every time or can, or confirms like reaffirms things. I believe it. Yeah. Our bodies are so amazing. And the way they, the way they connect with everything. You know what I wanted to say when you were talking about Gary Vee? I think that sometimes when people look at coaching or motivational speakers, it's so easy to be like, oh, they're just saying platitudes and they're just, um, it's a gimmick. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I I equate everything in life to jujitsu at this point. Um, Like how many times do I have to teach people how to do something very simple over and over and over again. Even at the higher levels, you'd be like, don't forget to shrimp. Don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to frame. Don't forget to do, you know what I mean? Do the simplest things. And that's why, that's why you can look at a motivational speaker like Gary Vee or Tony Robbins or whoever and be like, they're not saying anything. And you're just giving them money to like get you all hyped up. Yeah. Because when you do that and you keep practicing it, like then you, it becomes part of who you are. And it is simple, but like that's that's what gets us through life. Like these little tiny simple movements, and that's what manifestation is, and all of that is all mindset. It's all fundamentals. Yeah, there's a, one of my favorite little things I remind myself is complexity is the enemy of execution. Yeah, I like that phrase. And uh, I have some really great people in my circle, and uh, one of the regular talks this guy gives is like amateurs versus professionals. Mm -hmm. Talks about like amateurs getting like shiny object syndrome and running off and being like, ooh, that thing, that thing. That was me for most of my life until probably 30 where I was like, all right, what's this whole, this repetition thing seems to have some magic to it. And I had some really great mentors, some people that kind of guided me on this. And I I was talking to someone this morning actually, and I said, do you know who Bob Ross is? The painter? Yeah, or this was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, so, you know, when Bob Ross learned how to paint, and I don't know this to be true, but it's a good story, so play along with me as yeah. what I told him essentially, is that let's say you, me, and Bob Ross are sitting here and we all want to learn how to paint. We don't know how to paint. We would go to an art class and they would teach us if you, and I don't know a lot about painting either, so I probably, this is like a bunch of stuff I don't know, but the analogy made sense. Um, you know, if you want to make a happy little tree, like here's, you do this brush stroke and then you do that. So we would all learn the same techniques. Uh, but what I find out people get distracted or they maybe don't get to that level of mastery or don't understand the process of it is they go, okay, but like, how does Donna do it? Like she does it like this, Mm -hmm. but you have to embrace the fundamentals. Like you're talking about embrace the consistency and repetition of that initial brush stroke until you can do it in your sleep. 
And I believe that a lot of the creativity or a lot of the mastery of something comes from doing it very simple, very basic over and over to where you, um, one day it just kind of comes out. It's not forced. It's not like I'm going to try to do it like that person. And I think that goes for, for everything. Like, yeah. But you have to, uh, I'm going through this Jordan Peterson book right now. I love this guy, Jordan Peterson. It's 12 more rules for life. He had this big one, 12 rules for life. And he talks about if you want to break the rules, you have to master them first. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Totally makes sense. Um, I kind of want to tangent there. I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about emotions and people locking them up. You brought it back to Gary Vee and motivation. Yeah. So. Mot- the motivational stuff. How like I get how people can look at motivational coaches and life coaches and and be like, what? That's crap. Yeah, maybe. But also it's not. It mm-hmm. kind of everything depends on how you look at it and where you put value in uh, what you're getting out of it. I think it's good. I mean, to have people be accountable. Yeah. You know, to be accountable to you. One thing I've I've generally been really good at in life is is nutrition for the most part. In the mm-hmm. last couple of years, I've been pretty awful at it. And it, it kind of plays through my mind once in a while. Like, what would it be to just kind of pay someone to hold me accountable for eating? Mm. And sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's like I'll just share with the friend, like kind of dinner stuff. Like yesterday, I did not want to cook. I hadn't meal prepped or anything like that. And a very obvious choice is like, I go over and grab a burrito or some pizza. But I knew I had stuff I thought in the freezer. And just from talking to my friend about yeah. dinner, it ignited that, like, I'm going to make something healthy. And I'm making, like, you know, some meat and some vegetables. And it was way better than if I went and did pizza or something like that. So just having uh, people in your corner yeah. to, like, guide you through it, it's it's important. I think those are my best friends in life are the ones that don't let me get away with anything. Yeah. And, and it keeps – there was something I just thought of and it went right out of my brain as soon as – you have so I much talking. caffeine on this table. I know. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and like my phone is blowing up and my uh, my my Fitbit keeps buzzing. I'm like, stop talking. Oh, like I keep I, hitting it. I think it's um, like it's also the room in here sometimes. Like everything kind of <laughs> echoes and it's very intense. And oh, we're gonna work shit. on the audio. What was I going to say? I can't remember. Well, I can keep talking until you okay. figure it out. Okay. Right. Yeah, something will come back. Whatever. Um, NLP. How's the book? Words. NLP, words, words. religion. Yes. So... Uh, in the Bible. Yes. Right. Um, no, I've never read it. I'll tell you why. Okay. Go. Good. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, you know, God creates the earth, right? That's the general Genesis creates. How does he do it? He speaks them into existence. Like he speaks the world into existence. Uh, NLP, you know, there's a presuppositions like assume people are doing the best with what the information they have. Those I don't know how deep you are into it. Um, essentially, no, I, I want to be more into it. I want to get certified in it. I'm not at all. Oh, that yeah. book, um, if you oh, I stopped letting people borrow books because I lost track of them. But I'm going to trust you because we got this recorded to yeah. track you down. If you'd like to borrow that book, it's a good starting point. Okay. Because it's like self. Um, you can play with it with yourself, which is also dangerous because there's some really powerful tools in NLP. Um, for example, in chapter one of that book, it teaches you how to grab a memory and then how to alter it in a sense. So like, Oh, I believe for sure. Really powerful when done the right way. And the book is written in a way that you won't tweak any memories really bad. Yeah. But like an example, like I could just take a memory of talking to my sister from this morning or something, and then I could turn the volume up, turn the volume down, Mm -hmm. change the contrast, the color, 
like it, it teaches you like how to shift memories. That's the first part of it, which can be powerful. If you have a traumatic experience that you can tell you even you either haven't dealt with personally mm-hmm. or you'd like to shift how you feel about it. There's a lot of different stuff like uh, Scientology teaches kind of the same thing. Yeah. They teach removing the negative charge. NLP has that same sort of tool, you know, changing the emotional charge to turn it into either like new perspective or uh, just a new a new scenario. I believe words are magic. Like that's what magic is. Yeah. It's what you believe and like how you can um, portray that to yourself and other people. That's not the word I was thinking of, but I'm super caffeinated. <laughs> There's so much. I'm like, I'm like spending half my energy just pulling thoughts back I into feel, my brain to get a whole sentence out of this. I point. feel like there's been tangents. Like there's what there was one part early in the podcast that I'm sure people are gonna be like, what is she trying to say? So I was like, and then, and then, um, and you know. And there's a point where I asked you a question and you like just had your own. I'm like, that's cool. That wasn't the question, yeah. but go for it. It happened. Like sorry. It. No, it's pretty, it's actually yeah. this is fun. It's uh it's enjoyable, so I'm glad. I think we should have went with the CBD drinks though, because yeah. this is so much. Caffeine. caffeine. Even We're this has like super tweaked out. I, I know. There, it's tea. It's black yeah, tea. I know. And I had <laughs> I already had coffee earlier. Okay. So did I. Wee. And I have insomnia. I'm like. Ah, uh, yeah. well. Um, okay, so why a, are you reading the Book of Mormon? Oh, I'm not actually reading that one. I will eventually get to it. That was a gift. So, uh, religion. Have you heard of it? It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, not a fan, but yeah. I grew up Mormon. Okay, yeah, that's what you were. Yeah. Same. Um, and just like anything, I feel like there's different levels to it. Like you can For be sure. like super Mormon. You can be like. I was I not culturally know. Mormon. So I grew up in mm. Los Angeles mm. or in, you know, in Southern California. My father's Catholic. My mother's Mormon. So we went to church with my mom on Sunday, but I, I was never. Is that even allowed? Ca- I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was never, I never felt like I was culturally Mormon because mm. it wasn't like a part of our home life. Yeah. You're not allowed to have caffeine. You're not being I'm not allowed to have caffeine. I'm, you know. I could not be very kind and be like, I'm also Mexican, so there's that. Like, there's the whole racism the thing, side, and yeah, there's the whole racism thing, and the fact that they hate women. So that's why I've never read the Bible. Here's a funny story. Okay. So, I've had insomnia my entire life, and I cannot believe how much my phone is like. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to look at it. There's probably eight thousand text messages right now. Um, Okay, so I've had insomnia my whole life, and my mom used to joke, like, oh, well, it, you know, if you want to be bored to death, just start reading the Book of Mormon of the Bible, even mm. though she's a complete believer, and but it's boring. So once I, I needed to sleep, and I picked up the Bible, and I was like, I'm going to read it from cover to cover. Let's, let's see what this has to say. And I don't, honestly, I don't remember, like, the specific books or whatever, but I remember starting to read it, and I was like, whoever the fuck wrote this hates women. Hmm. <laughs> and okay. I put it down and I was like, no thanks. Wow. So, so I haven't read the Book of Mormon yet, but oh, no, I, th- I'm talking about the Bible. Oh, the actual Bible. That was the actual Bible. Oh. I the only I've I mean I've read um yeah, the passages out of both books multiple times in my life. Well, and that's um like one of the books that I consistently recommend to people is Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. But I I preframe it ahead of time. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna give you a book title, but before I even give you the book title, remember this was written in the early 1900s, so the title's by nature going to be a little bit cheesy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second part of it is the guy that wrote it was this old white guy, and so the terms that he uses are from an old white guy in the early 1900s. Like, just remember those things, but the information, it doesn't change the value That's of Napoleon the Hill, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, because it's one of the single most 
powerful books I think anybody can read to understand like you create your reality. Mm-hmm. The world, how you feel about things, the how your day goes, where you live, who your friends are, all of that starts with your thinking and your desire. I believe it. And combine all those things. He has some other books that are pretty cool. Um, like outwitting the devil. Like, oh, Ooh, I've never heard of that. Interesting. It was hard to. I'm like getting the chills. I love that. I've been that's happened a couple times. That usually yeah. means good topic. That's kind of like my little yeah. indicator. Like good topic. Like all the hairs on my arm just stood up. Um, it was hard to find for a bit. Outwitting the devil. Outwitting the devil by so Napoleon Hill. Okay. He wrote it around the same time frame. Um, family, friends, everybody said, please don't publish this. We're concerned for your life. So, didn't get published until the 80s. Uh, a lady, part of the Rich Dad Poor Dad Foundation, okay. I think somehow extracted rights out of the estate to publish it. Um, bless her for doing that because it may never have uh, made it to, and I'm saying bless now. I'm like, yeah. it's like prime me to think about God and the Bible and everything. Um, but thankful to her for actually doing that because yeah. I think it's a book that is is great. But she also put in annotations like her own throughout the whole thing. So luckily. She like explaining him. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry and, he was racist right here, but this is what he really meant. Well, and that's, so <laughs> I think there's probably value in it, but uh, luckily all of her stuff is in bold and I think it's on one side and you can vary. So I read the whole thing without acknowledging her annotations because okay. I tried to, well, I shouldn't say the whole thing. I started off trying to read it and I was like, no, yeah. like, I want to read the book. So it's cool that we have access to the book um, and give her credit for that. It would be really nice to just have the book by itself. Yeah. Uh, but it, it talks about three disciplines in life. And it, I mean, it talks about the educational system, like basically just building sheep talks about religion, actually not playing out, you know, God's true role yeah. and, and inciting fear into people. Yeah, and it's about control. Yeah, and I, I did say that to somebody. I said, what if? I like to say what if to like start conversations, especially when you're talking to someone that is really indoctrinated into a certain belief and or a, a personal belief. It doesn't have to be about religion. It can be about plants. Yeah. You know, like just to kind of warm it up. Like, what if what we if? smoked this plant? Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> um, but I said like, what if this church that you're really into, like somebody started off, I was like, can we agree that um, the book basically says there's only two charges. Like there's positive and there's negative. Okay. God and Satan, good, bad, right? There's only two at everything, every molecular piece of human. There's negative and positive. Yeah. Okay. And it basically said that's what God and Satan are, like good, 100% good, 100% bad. And uh, and so when I think of fear, like that's a negative charge. Mm-hmm. There's like healthy fear, like don't jump off this cliff. Like, But that's more to me of awareness versus yeah. fear. Like if I understand like, I'm not going to fall off because I'm safe and I'm not near the edge. I'm just aware that it's dangerous. I'm not scared of it. Um, I said, you know, I said, can we agree that fear is a tool of Satan? You know, it's like, yeah, okay. I can agree with that. Okay. Why does, why does this particular church, this person talking about use fear so much then? And not everybody's excited about that conversation. So, but the book, the book is great. So it talks about the discipline of food, um, sex, and thinking, and it basically says when you can control or, or at least discipline those three things, um, you can tap into his first book, essentially, Think Grow Rich. Like, that's the true... That's what manifestation is? Yeah, like, you control those three things, and you can create whatever world you want. 
Yeah. I mean, it, that's the whole idea of like manifestation and creating your own world and all of that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. For I mean, sure. But, but you, the way you broke it down too, I mean, and basically looking at society and how yeah. opposite it is, like sh- putting sugar and everything like we've talked yep. about, training us to eat when like we have a habit of eating, but we may not even be hungry, but it's so yeah. ingrained like, oh, you have it's to eat. It's to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so most of what we are taught or put into structures like counter to us being our most powerful selves. I totally believe it because if everybody is being their most powerful selves, then those who have power are like, they don't have it anymore. Like you take away the, like people in power lead by ruling. And if there's no one to rule, then like they have to figure out who they are completely separate from that. Now the podcast is getting banned from Apple Podcasts. Probably. We're, we're into conspiracy yeah. theorists. We said those are in power. Boom. Banned. But totally off anything. Limits. Any, any power. Mean, the yeah. bosses and, in, in, you know, once your employees realize, like, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then you no longer have power. And there's, there's a whole um, – I was talking to a coach not too long ago, and just by having a conversation, there's some personality testing that she does, and I can't remember what it's called. DISC. Mm-hmm. D-I-S-C. Are you yeah, familiar? Yeah. That peop, some people are influencers and some people rule by power, which is exactly what I'm talking about. And some people are, I can't remember what they are, but I was telling her about a situation I was in and she was like, oh, that was never going to work out for you anyways, because you are an influencer and that person is a, a ruler and you mm-hmm. guys will never get along. Hmm. And I was like, huh, that's so interesting. So I have something else for you. I have a quiz. Ooh, it takes about 10 minutes. Me. Yes. It is one of, if not the coolest quiz I've ever seen. Uh, it's batting a thousand for me so far. Okay. When I share it with somebody. And it actually rates, like it's the first thing I've seen that measures, and it was designed by this really big entrepreneur and a psychiatrist. Okay. And they develop it over a few years, like constantly refining it. It actually will tell you, I'm like blowing the secret before I actually give you the quiz and I'm going to get a heads up. It doesn't really matter. It's really hard to outsmart yeah. it. Um, oh, no, I'm pretty smart. Well, and that's what, and they do say like, there's a podcast you can listen to, it's like 15 yeah. minutes long that kind of described the test. And he said that maybe three people over the like thousands of people he's given to have actually been able to outsmart it. So it's pretty. I want to take this. What is it? Cool. But it, okay. it measures um, ego. Okay. Which is a powerful thing to measure. And I've had people take it and know that it was accurate and be super unhappy with where they're at in life. <laughs> Um, like we just went into this, I mean, having with this girl I was dating, like we were having, you know, we thought we were getting married and all these conversations and, uh, we were, t- and she was really into psychology and she took this quiz and it was an eye opener and it, um, the relationship didn't work out what? because of this quiz. Well, it was already something that we'd been working on for a while and I was really trying to figure out, I feel like I'm very patient some people would disagree for sure okay because there's some things i'm very like firm on like uh i only have a couple of triggers i know in life uh one of them is like uh, someone hurting women or kids okay like, i i thought after all this time in life like i'd be able to like be more calm about the situations i'm not yeah so wait why why is that such a trigger for you is uh, it like this people picking on somebody who's smaller and weaker is yeah. it because you have some kind of need to protect people it's probably both of those okay um and I, I guess like I what does that mean for you because everything everything we do is about us right oh yeah so why does that trigger you oh it's 100 um 
Oh, now we're, we're flipping it on me now. <laughs> well, there's a there's a bunch of reasons. There's a part of uh, um, I do have a very strong like protective nature. Okay, and fair enough. It is one of the lessons I've really had to learn in life. Um, this came from a really cool guy too. Was uh, give while it feels good, but not until it hurts. I like it. Just the way he worded it. Yeah. Because I, I know there's been times where I've like wanted to help people and then help too much and it hurt me. Yeah. And it was like, oh, they didn't learn that on their own. And um, one time I was, uh, I went to a, an Oakland Raiders game. Okay. And we were riding the tram from Lafayette. Like we parked out there because it was like a good safe place to park your car. Okay. Walnut I'm Creek. not super familiar. Oh, okay. It's, uh, yeah, excuse me. It's near San Jose. So it's kind of like okay. Bay Area-ish. And Leaving the Oakland Raiders game, the further out you go to these stops, like kind of the nicer the communities are, which are white people like either park out there yeah. or out there. But the first couple stops are a little bit rough near the Coliseum, and uh, and we're going, and I'm with a girl I was dating. There's a pattern here. You may have noticed girls have dated over time and done events with, but uh, been through a couple of them. Um, <laughs> that really just picked that it's up the pretty loudest well. truck ever. <laughs> I think it's the caffeine. I don't know. Yeah, everything is like so intense. How long has that been frozen like that? It unfroze and it froze again. I know it's still recording though. Um, mm. Really got to get this. See, that little that little thing over there is actually supposed to help um, ensure it. But uh, I try to set up. Yeah, we're way. getting too distracted. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna so, stare at it. Oakland Raiders game, leaving the game with girlfriend. Uh, same girlfriend that I was training football. Okay. So, uh, already kind of like on the rocks. Tension. She wasn't happy with my schedule. So we're doing, she loved the Oakland Raiders. I'm not a big football fan, but she wanted to go to the game. It was cool. So we did that. And as we're leaving, like the crowd starts to thin out. So there's, we're in a train car, a, a BART train yeah. tram kind of thing. And let's call it a dozen people left on this car. And there's a woman with her suitcase and standing on the pole and there's a guy that's just like, you know, looking for trouble, causing trouble. And he starts saying all these really inappropriate things like, can't wait to get off on you. And he's like standing right behind her. Like she's in the pole and he's standing just right up on her back, like talking down her neck and ear. Yeah. And he's not being quiet about it. Like, can't wait to get off on your, on your stop with you. And like, we're going to have just like outlandish things that are yeah. not cool. And I, I look around and it's, Lafayette is like an older community, so it's a lot of gray hair mm -hmm. and people wearing very nice clothing, and you could feel the tension, and you could also tell that there's something called the bystander effect. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? Yes. Yeah. Makes and me so, really, yeah. So, and also being aware of that, like, I know, like, okay, I can't sit here and go, somebody else is going to do something. Right. And you have a part to be of, the person that does yeah. it. Yeah. Plus, I just kind of like, like yeah. to do that anyways. Um, uh, I like to save the day, I guess. But, yeah. uh and I look at my girlfriend and she's like, don't, don't like he do could it. have a gun. Yeah. Like there's so many things to go wrong. He could stab you or something like that. Cause he just looked, um, had the, not just looked, but the way he was acting, what he was doing. Like, you don't know, right. You just don't know what you don't know about the guy. Uh, but I, so instead of like confronting him, I was like, all right, like, how can I do this in a way? And it just kind of happened. I just walked over and stood next to her and I looked at her and I was like, hey, and he's standing like right here. You know, it's very, very tense. Yeah. Uh, I said, would you like me to, uh, or I said, I don't know if I said you or us or whatever, but basically, you know, would you like 
someone to get off on your stop with you. Would you like me to go with you and walk you to your car? That's what it was. And that was probably the best way to handle that. I'm pretty good sometimes in those yeah. situations. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you could feel the tension. And then the guy just like, you know, he wouldn't look directly at me. He started like looking at the ceiling and like running his mouth, blah, 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 blah. And then he got off at the next stop. Yep. And, uh, yeah, stuff like that. Like I can't just sit there and and watch. And and my girlfriend, um, she was like, as soon as I got back and he was off, and she was like, "You get a shot. You get a stab. You blah blah blah." She was like, "She was." You also tell she was like happy that someone did something. Yeah. Not so happy that it was me. Yeah. But uh, there have been a lot of moments like that in life where I just don't. I, don't, I would have done the same. thing. I don't I, like to see yeah. the bad guys win. I have a big fat mouth. I would have absolutely said something. Yeah. Well, yeah. you have a, a a very elite ninja system in your arsenal. I'm still five foot one. Like if some giant giant man wanted to beat me up, he could. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know but I wouldn't. I I teach women that yeah. when I teach my self defense classes, I'm like, look, don't even with the, like all the training that we have, don't fight a man. But if you see a woman who needs help, the most appropriate way to handle that is to walk over to her. Hey, do you remember me from that class or just straight up what you did? Like, mm. hey, would you like me to accompany you? I like any, notice. like that's, that is the best way because then it becomes about her and you can be completely just, hey, are you okay? Mm. You want me to stand here with you and come sit with us? So what, cause that's, by the way, that was me at like 25. Cause me at 19 would have just flown over right. and tackled because the guy, then, so. yeah. And then you're starting a fight and you don't know if yeah. he has a gun. You don't, that's, I think that's something that is, uh, that women learn to manage, right? Because you never know how a man is going to respond to you and what he says. So when a man comes up to you and is, says something like, um, Hey, beautiful. In that moment, the woman has to make the decision. Do I tell this guy to fuck off? That can make him angry. Do I say thank you and, you know, like look away and not engage? Do I not engage at all and then, you know, make him angry? You, you never know what the appropriate response is. So the best thing to do is um, it's the bystander thing. Like huh. if more of us come and just acknowledge the person that needs help. Hey, girl, you okay? You want me to stand here with you? Do you want to come sit with us? Do you want to, do you want me to act like, you know what I mean? If you, you can act like you know her. Be like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long. I didn't even recognize you. You want to come sit with us? Mm -hmm. And then it, it, it diffuses the guy or the danger. And if he keeps at it, then you all know that they, like as a, a team, you have to deal with it. Hmm. Well, that is, that is pretty cool. So you teach. So let's, let's talk more about what you're, what you're teaching. Cause I didn't know that. So it's cool. I, I, intuitively yeah that's really good when my prefrontal cortex finally yeah. evolved as a male and i stopped running around trying to take over the world uh it just kind of came out so but that's how you like that's how you would be an ally to a woman yeah. who you see in danger on the street like just straight up hey would you like me to walk with you so where where do you um these are strange times for, for teaching super classes. Strange. Yeah. So talk more. Tell me more about your your women's self defense and what you're. Yeah, just talk about what you're doing. You got a lot. Of well, stuff there hasn't been a lot. You know, in the last year, I think I've taught. Well, normally I teach probably at least one class a month. I did two for the whole year. Okay. So you know, and it's small groups of people who are comfortable being close to each other and things like that. Um, normally, I teach jujitsu for self defense, which is very very specific, and it's with the greater 
goal of getting women to join the sport of jiu-jitsu to feel empowered that way and then have it become your own journey. I'm also now learning other types of self-defense by working with the guy that I mentioned earlier because he has programs. So currently we're working with girls who have survived trafficking. And I'm talking like teenage girls who have had pimps and been sold and been beat and things like that, which I'm learning, you know, new stuff that I never had to deal with before. And I'm learning new things from him because he's like a super old school martial arts guy and does different self-defense than I do. He teaches bouncers how to protect people while having to deal with them. Um, he has adaptive self-defense for people who have been, you know, they don't have arms or they have differently abled bodies. So you have to adapt the self-defense and, it, you know, it, it doesn't always, you don't have the same things available to you that those of us that have four limbs do. That was super so, PC of you. Differently abled bodies. Like that, yeah. All right, that was pretty. Um, pretty yeah. But it's true. Like, it's, it's yeah. not that, like, you, you can adapt it. So... Um, currently right now I'm in the learning process and the building process of the things that I've mentioned to you, the, the somatic therapy, I'm going to be trained in somatic therapy so that we can create this program together and then hopefully train other coaches. Same thing with the trafficking and, um, the bouncer stuff. I'm going to be trained in their type of self-defense and then hopefully I will be teaching other people. And then I have the 10th Planet Women Self-Defense, which is what I've been building up over the last five or six years with Lila Smaja, my partner. And that is specifically jujitsu for self-defense to bring women into the sport of jujitsu. So that is awesome. And one of the things that got me like kind of on this, like promoting it to friends and, and just family members, anybody, is I saw this video of a like massive, you know, beast of a guy and it was a woman's like doing a woman doing self-defense with jujitsu and she was on her back and closed guard, we'll call yep. it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, basically just means her legs were wrapped around the guy. It's probably yeah. the worst description of it ever. No, that's it actually the most accurate description. You're laying on your back okay. and your, your legs are around his waist. Yeah. And he was, and he's on his, his knees facing you and he had his hand. Yeah. So he's mm -hmm. like, you know, basically over here with his hands on her neck and she does a couple of movements like hips out. Yep. Throws a leg around. I think she put arm. a triangle on the guy, or yeah. maybe it was an arm bar. Yeah. But it was like, I was like, this is why. And they're like, oh, but it, it's kind of scary. What would you say to someone who, you know, believes that they're they're looking for something a little bit more in life, but they're terrified to come get the thousand injuries that you were talking about in jujitsu? Yeah. Um, the thousand injuries are absolutely worth it. Because you want people are like, what are the percentage I'm going to get hurt? Hundred percent, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Uh, it's worth it because. So let's take that specific situation. I, that's one of the first things I teach women. In a ninety minute seminar, you will be on your back with somebody in between your legs, with them facing you on their knees, and your legs are wrapped around their waist. So most people who have never trained in the sport of jujitsu would think that is the worst case scenario. The beautiful thing about jujitsu is you become more deadly in those worst case scenario positions. And you learn that unconventionally how powerful your body is. So I want to be on my back. It might seem great for you as my attacker, but that means that within 10 seconds, I can put you to sleep or break your arm. So um, why is that more powerful? Why is I'll give you my spiel. You'll hear this if you ever go to any of my seminars. Why is jujitsu the best form of first form of self-defense for anybody to learn? Because most sexual assault take place in places that were comfortable. Women are three times more likely to be assaulted by somebody that we know. 
Hmm. Talk to any woman who has been sexually assaulted, and it's usually not a stranger who does the assaulting. It's date rape, it's acquaintance rape, 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 something like that. So that means we are being assaulted in our bedrooms, on our living room floors, in our dorm rooms, places like that. And going back to that crass joke that Eddie has is rapists don't box, they wrestle. You're hardly ever going to be in a situation where you're going to have to square up with the dude. Yeah. You're going to be in a situation where you will most likely deal with somebody's arms around your neck and you can use your legs to create space between the two of you or leverage his body against him and break his arm, put him to sleep. So let's let's say someone has gone through a traumatic experience and, mm-hmm. they, and they want to get into this. I, mean, I immediately think, I'm not the expert on this, but I can yeah. imagine um, sometimes when we have a traumatic experience, we don't want to put ourselves in that situation. Like the trigger, Is this, yeah. Yeah, is it is it all women in these classes? Is it mixed? Is it something where someone could say, "Hey, by the way," both? Okay, I've taught seminars that were mixed. I've t- I teach mostly women self defense seminars, and that's why I'm t- um, teaming up with Julie, the partner. For, we're com- calling it Reclaim You. Um, yes, I've had women be triggered, and some women choose to work through it. You work through the tears, you push through it, and you come out on the other side. I am imagining how depending it will probably depend on the level of trauma that you've experienced. There are some people that maybe they're never going to be comfortable in jujitsu and that's okay. Or maybe you have to go and work with somebody like Julie to work through the the trauma in your body. Um, my experience in teaching not only self-defense, but regular jujitsu classes is most people can work through it. It will happen. You get triggered. I've had, I've seen tears. I've seen people freak out. Um, and most of the people that I've worked with have chosen to go through the pain and the panic and the fear to the other side of being okay with it. Have you have you ever, oh, or I think it's right down here. Oh, it's on the other side. You can't see it. It's a book called uh, There's No Such Thing as Dragons. No, but that sounds cool. It's a children's book. So I'll give you the, the premise of it because what you're talking about where, where most people or all people can work through it. Yeah. Um. Sometimes I I feel more comfortable than others saying that to someone. Like if someone's just telling me they like something really tragic just happened to them, maybe that's not the right time to yeah. tell them that or you like have to be how acute is the trauma. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, like I know like when I've had crazy things happen, like I just I tend to work through it pretty fast for the most part. There's mm-hmm. like one exception I can think of. Uh, but I think that was because the whole world was in chaos. And it was like this really bad breakup where I thought like, all right, this is the one, like we're getting married. And that took me several months to heal from, which usually with a breakup, I'm kind of like already prepared for it mentally. Okay. And this one, I found myself like crying, eating potato chips at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm like, this is not good. I was telling a few friends and they're like, it's kind of funny. It was the first time I think people around me were like, whoa, Derek's human. Like he's not like he has emotions. It's not. Like healthy emotions, <laughs> like he doesn't handle everything like a freaking machine. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I think we can work, the speed of which we work through things is very different. But the, if we don't acknowledge it, it's, we can't work through it. And so I think sometimes the, the discovery process for people is like to figure out what it is they're supposed to work through. And we don't even know. Like yeah. it can be, it can be sort of, uh, mysterious or like hiding in the shadows. So that children's book is uh, there's like a little dragon. It's like self awareness taught through a children's book. Well, and I don't even know if that's the message of the book. I think it is. Yeah. But it's what I've taken out of it. It's a uh, 
like little boy has a dragon. Mom makes some pancakes or something like that. And the dragon eats his pancakes, a little pet dragon, little tiny one. And then he's like, mom, uh, can I have more pancakes? The dragon ate my pancakes. She's like, hey buddy, there's no such thing as dragons. Like I'll make you some more pancakes, but dragons don't exist. And the dragon grows and things like that keep happening. You know, mess on the floor, whatever. And the boy keeps blaming on the dragon. Every time the mom and the dad say that there's no such thing as dragons, it gets bigger and bigger. And eventually its arms are out the window, its tail's out the door. Like it fills up the whole house. It's huge. Okay. It's so big that it gets up and like carries the house down the street. Dad comes home from work. Where's my house? The neighbor is somebody, mailman, something like that's like, your house walked that way. Uh, right. So he's <laughs> love this. tracks it down. He's, uh, uh, you know, talking to the wife and he's like, what's going on? This is crazy. And the little boy's like tugging on the mom's shirt. You guys, it's the dragon. And they finally look and they go, oh my gosh, there's a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> and then it shrinks. Oh, so when you ignore, yeah, it's total self-awareness, right? Yeah. The mom says, uh, uh, gosh, why do you think the dragon got so big? Because she's like, I like, she goes, I like dragons that are this size because it's like all normal dog size now. She's like, I wonder, you know, I wonder why I got so big. And the little boy just looks at the parents and says, do you think it just wanted to be seen? Wow. That's so good. I like it. Yeah. I'm glad you do. I, I didn't write it. That's um, good. Can't take any credit for it, but. Uh, it's a pretty cool book. I just sent a couple copies to my nieces and nephews. I was just thinking, I'm getting for my nephews, but that makes sense. Like, is um, things are only as big of a deal as you make them, right? So when you acknowledge them, they're not that big of a deal. Yeah. When you're like, hey, I have this thing. Well, like, if you make it this big, scary, powerful thing that affects your life than it is a big, powerful, scary thing that affects your life. But if you're like, hey, that's just the thing that, you know what I mean? Then that's all it is. It goes back to our words. Because yeah. our words can create our thoughts, which create our emotions. And they're all kind of, you know, people can argue chicken and egg type yep. thing. It's all the same. I was, uh, a lot of the people I work with are in advertising. There's a ton of cold calling involved with that. Mm -hmm. Cold calling really didn't like... I did it daily because I knew it was like part of my why. Like if I want this outcome, if I want new clients, if I want to build my business, like I have to call 50 strangers a day. Yeah. I just accccepted that. And someone asked me point blank this morning, like, you know, what were your thoughts about calling? And I legitimately said, I said, I said, wow, some days it was harder than others uh, because of where I was at mentally and emotionally. Like mm -hmm. some days I could tell I had a little bit of an edge on me or things like that. Um, I said I, I did it daily because it was to me just part of the process and my my purpose, my why, the outcomes were so big, I didn't make a big deal out of it. it I was just a non-negotiable part of what you did. Yeah, I actually used the phrase non-negotiable. I yeah. said it was I said it was non-negotiable. Each day or the day before, I would make my list of strangers to call. Yeah. Uh the next day at 8:30 on the dot, I was at my desk with my list of strangers and I knew I'm going to call 50 people and the sooner I got it done, the better I felt too. Yeah. Yeah. I like but it. But I didn't make it, but it's a, it's a pain for some people. Like some people literally think they're going to die from calling strangers and it yeah. is uh, totally how they feel and think and talk about it. 
It's it's as big of a deal as you make it. Same with public speaking, all of that. I used to be terrified of public speaking. Really? Oh yeah, it's pretty bad. Super bad. So what changed? Mm, I saw again. I saw that I, in order for me to complete some of the things I'd like to complete, I needed to get good at it. And turns out, just like everything, I think in life, there's a system to get good at it. Yep. There's then you have to tack on experience. And so I have this really lame little cheat sheet, like those little things at the gas station. Yeah. You ever seen those, like the plastic ones? No. Uh, you can buy them for like $3 and it's like chemistry and. Uh, oh, oh, like it. Yeah. Okay. It's called public speaking. And it literally, I still haven't. I've had it for like four years, but it has this little tiny formula that I used a ton for speaking. I'd and, like to read that. Yeah. I do public speaking coach, coaching. Okay, so you have okay. What what is this? Does it have a name? For your your program has no. everything. I do everything. Okay, so it's more just about the the coaching is almost a side effect of or the public speaking coaching. So because I speak when I teach women self defense, and because I am comfortable standing up in rooms full of people because I'm an actor and a performer, people are always like, "Hey, how can I? How do I do that?" And so it just kind of became, "Oh, I'll, I'll show you." Or I'll, I'll give you some exercises and I'll do that. So now people contact me and they're like, can you help me with my public speaking? And I'm like, yeah. Did you ever have a fear of it? No. Hmm. I, I have a big personality. It's uh, <laughs> good. It's healthy. It's healthy. What, um, do you have, what are, do you have any fears? Or have you conquered them? Oh gosh, no. Yeah. Um, but jujitsu definitely helps. For sure. Um, I'll tell you, I learned how to scuba dive in two seconds. Yep. Because of jujitsu. Because the biggest, one of the biggest lessons you learn is how to be calm. Like you said, you know, with all the fighting, like, like if you can keep your calm in like a super scary, powerful situation or a super scary, high adrenaline situation, you become powerful. Mm -hmm. So the scuba instructor put the thing on me. He was like, okay, everybody, we're going to learn how to do this. It usually takes people a couple of times. Um, you're going to stick your head in the water. You have to calm down because you have to start breathing out of your mouth and not panic. And it was all cloudy because we were all like stomping around in the water. And so everybody stuck their heads in and everybody immediately came up and was like, mm. I stuck my head in and I felt myself go into that place that happens when you are mounted, when you're laying on your back and a big person's on top of you and they're sweaty and it's hot and they're holding you down and you cannot move your body and you have to not panic because you have to think, how do I get out of here? So I immediately went into that mode and I was like, cool, I'm scuba diving. And that's, he came up a few minutes later and, and he was like, oh, you've done this before. And I was like, no. That might be the single best commercial for both scuba diving and jujitsu. That really sweaty, panicky, awful place and you have to comp that. Yeah. But that's a, a beautiful description. Did you have some of that calmness before jujitsu? Hmm. I think I had a resilience about me because of acting. Hmm. In acting, you learn to take rejection and keep moving, like immediately, right? You don't get the job. You don't, like somebody tells you you suck. They tell you that, you know, you don't, whatever. Like it, the, people are brutal in acting. So you learn to be like, cool, thanks, and then keep moving. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? So I think I came in with a resilience. What do you think it is about rejection that can cripple people? Because it makes us think all the bad things that we think about ourselves, right? So we'll use acting as the best analogy. You walk into a room. When you get called in for an audition, you walk into a room of 20 people who you all look 
almost alike. Mm. You, you walk into a room of 20 versions of yourself, right? Because they're like, we are casting a, um, let's, what I would get called in for. We're either casting a Latina or a white woman or sometimes mixed or, you know, an ambiguously ethnic person. Um, she's going to be short, dark hair, um, between this weight and this weight and this height and this height. So you walk in and see like the better version of yourself and the worst version of yourself mm. and like the taller version of yourself and the shorter version of yourself. And then they'll tell you you're too fat. Did you like, do you see her? Wow. You know, it, it, it literally they just they, say fat. They, mm, yeah. You're too, you're too big. Oh yeah. I, I <laughs> had one woman look at me, which I found really funny because I think she was the casting director to like, it was a show based around sex. And so I brought in an, a, a headshot that I thought was appropriate. And she was like, this the headshot makes you look kind of slutty. And I was like, but the, your show's about sex. Um, but it's all the, like, literally, it's the person like pointing out all of the things that you already think bad about yourself. Yeah. Oh, I'm feeling fat today. Yeah, you are looking kind of chubby. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're a little old. You're a little old for this. Part of me likes that and part of me doesn't feel good about it. It's like yeah. this very mixed thing. Because on one hand, I feel like there's so much strength yeah. in honest feedback. There's also tact. I mean, yeah, you, you, know, the, you, know, you do learn yeah. to just be like, well, okay, this person's an asshole. And then some people are super tactful about it and they're not. But um, it's that thick skin and mm -hmm. the what's next. Because you learn if you get crippled by it, then you just are. Like nobody's going to come save you. Yeah. Well, and there's also opinion too, right? Because you have to go, well, that's that person's opinion. Yeah. But that's dangerous. Because if everything's, oh, they're just they're just a hater. Mm, sometimes you have to reflect. Like yeah. if everybody keeps saying the same thing, maybe it's time to take that into account. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Have you heard of the book Existential Kink? Mm-mm. So I just finished reading it. It's super interesting. Um, this woman supposes that she she's a... Psychologist, I think. She has a master's in something, maybe a PhD. I don't want to downplay her education. Um, but that everything that we create in our lives is like all the negative stuff that we have in our life, there is a sick part of our psyche that gets off on it. Ooh, that yeah. sounds terrifying. Right? So if I continue to be find myself in the same financial situation, no matter how hard I work or how many creative things that I do or whatever I do, but I continually find myself in the same situation, then I need to figure out like what part of me gets off on the feeling that I have of being where I am. So I, I can actually agree with that. I guess now that you described a little more detail, I... Um in uh and maybe it's nlp maybe you'll discover this in nlp there's some sort of a, a learning system yeah personal development system that talks about the difference between a an away from goal and a towards goal oh right I like that. and so a lot of whether sometimes when people like accumulate wealth or like if you grow up really poor and you're super into making a bunch of money yeah but you keep doing stupid stuff with your money like you actually have this away from goal. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly running away from being poor, but it's, it's on your mind. Yeah. So it brings you back into it. Totally. Versus switching all of that. Like I would like to have generational wealth so that my kids can have it so that I can, you know, buy time, those types of things. And even though you might have a mixture of those, the constant tug at the old habits yeah. is there. Uh, have you ever done hy hypnotherapy? 
Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Okay. It's the same concept. So if you ever go and watch any of the videos from the Hypnotherapy Institute in, in Los Angeles, they talk about that, hmm. how that we have this thermostat in our brain where we're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it, it is what it is. Like you're either comfortable at this level of money or you're comfortable at this level of money. And you'll notice how, um, like no matter what you do, you stay in that comfortable zone. Yeah. Well, that, that begs the question, how do people break out of the matrix? You have to be aware, right? That's mm. like everything that we've been talking about. The moment that you become aware of the dragon, then it becomes small again. So whatever it is, whatever your dragon is, you have to acknowledge it. That's what happened with that girl in that ego quiz. Oh. She had like a mental, like, I, I hope she didn't listen to this. This feels terrible. I don't she's, think she She's would. listening right now. Nobody's listening this far in there. Like those two went off, like that chick went off on a tangent. She doesn't know what the <laughs> fuck she's talking about. She never even answered the question that he asked. <laughs> oh, it's been, it's fun though. It's, uh, good times. But that's, I mean, that's essentially what happened to her was, it raised awareness very swiftly yeah. because we had already worked through, I mean, I, I was working um, with this really cool group of people. And so I had all these like very high level, some of the top coaches on the, on the planet in a sense, like That's that work cool. with a bunch of people. So I built this little relationship tool based on a program I went through and we, I was working so hard on this relationship. I'm like this is more work than I've ever put into like yeah. making something work. Cause that's what people keep saying. Like it's, you're supposed to put work into it. And I'm like, part of me, my gut says it's not going to work out. But the other part of me is like, I'm going to do everything like, I'm I can. I'm going to push through this and we are going to do it. Yeah. So, Sorry. And she, no, that's just, and she, we were having fun with it. It was like these brief moments of like, aha. And one was like a, like a shared vision thing. And we went down to uh, Black's Beach, like hiked down, sat on the sand, sunset, like super cool. And so I had all these like little moments of working through it. And then I was like, I don't know what to do. And I said, oh my gosh, like she's, she's. She's sometimes open to enough stuff to where maybe this will, because yeah. I could just, every part of me was like, this is an ego thing. You know, it was like a big glaring ego that made the generative conversation super challenging. And I have, that's one of my other harsh triggers and I'm working really hard on that. I'm trying to learn to um, have a little more fun with people that have big egos okay. versus like violently shudder. On certain things, like some of it, there's certain things that when people will say so like, you go and join a combat sports gym. That's, it's amusing. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing I like about 10th planet. Um, when you look at some of the instructors, like, yeah, there's some ego there, but there's also a lot of humility. Yeah. For sure. So it's like a healthy ego. It's like, yeah, I'm great, but also, you know, like. Because well, we talked things. about you, every, anybody who does jujitsu, you got to, everybody got a neck. Mm -hmm. Nobody, there's not one person that's never been tapped out. Any given day, too, you, yeah. you're not on your game that day. Someone else might be a little bit sharper. Yeah. Um, I remember my ego got put in check when I, I actually did kind of – part of me, I was like, is he letting me do work on him? Because I got this guy in a body triangle. I didn't know what a body triangle was, though. Yeah. And I didn't really know what to do. I was like uh, fairly new, but enough – uh, afterwards he was like, dude, you got to like, just blah, 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 like finish me at that point. I'm like, I legitimately have no idea what I was doing. And so, yeah. but it was, uh, it was, it was, it was fun. Cause it was like, part of me was all excited. And then part of me was like, ah, oh, you just let me do work. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, so that's what happened. It was like, she took the quiz and it gave her results. And then she kind of was like questioning, like, I don't know how legit this is. Right. So then I paired it up with, uh, a 15 minute podcast that walks through the psychology of it, how they designed it, how to look at it. And you could tell it was like, 
It was her looking at her dragon, just being around her. She was like, kind of like flustered and like, oh, and then like, you know, I'm going to go home. And she left and because we were already trying to work through this thing and it was like, could have been better timing maybe on my end versus like, yeah. we're already kind of in a entanglement. Um, throwing some jujitsu terms in there. Uh, but once, once she acknowledged it, it gave her the opportunity to, she was very upset. And then we started mending things and like me putting the work back in. It was like the very next day I was like, all right, it's back. Yeah. Like it lasted for like a day, but at least there was all this awareness. And so when we talked about it, um, we, you know, we broke up and first she didn't want to talk to me for a while. And then I get this like crazy, and this has happened a couple of times. I get this crazy like novel text, of yeah. a text <laughs> message that's like, even though I was super upset and blah, blah, blah. And you know, whatever, like, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Basically for pointing out my dragon. Um, we got some good background I vibes know. going in here. So like, what are some dragons, if you don't mind sharing that you just oh, come face to face? Gosh. With? Um, hmm. So many. Lots of dragons. Um, I tell you a big one I'm dealing with right now is, and I've been dealing with it for the last couple of years. So I started jujitsu in my 30s. I was 31 when I started. I got my black belt when I was 43. And I struggle, right, with, with my body not being young anymore. I've always struggled with my weight. My weight and my, um, my ego around my weight, especially as an actor. You walk in and you're like, hey, mm-hmm. kind of fat. Um, so I would say the, my weight has probably been my biggest dragon in my life. And now my body not being yet like me needing so much recovery time and I get injured really easily. And I have to remind myself, I'm like, your sparring partners are like, you're old enough to be their mom. Mm. You know what I mean? I, some I'm old enough to be their big sister. And you know, I, uh, that's probably my biggest dragon right now is I'm like, damn, I'm the old lady. (laughs) It's. Well, in age, one of my favorite exercises to do with somebody from like a, you can call it a coaching perspective, sometimes just like talking to people is uh, working with someone that's like in their fifties or sixties and they're like, oh, I wasted all this time, blah, blah, blah. That, yes, I struggle with that so so much. Here's a really cool thing. You said you're 43, 44? 44. 44. So you take a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and you put a zero on one side and then you draw a line. And whatever, like take like the 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 oldest age someone in your family has lived to, or however long you believe you could live if you did mm-hmm. a lot of things right. Like let's call it a hundred, you know? And then you draw like little lines to 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever, and you put a dot where your current age is at. Okay. 43, think of how much space oh, for sure. is left. Yeah. And um Anytime I've done that with somebody and they're just looking at it, they're like, I have so much time. Yeah. Like I'm still, I'm 43. I'm a baby. Yes. It depends on how you're looking at it though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so do I have a future of being a huge competitor in front of me? Probably not. Do I have a future of being somebody who could maybe become an authority on self-defense and, and uh, empowerment, which is kind of the path that I'm going down because I'm like, oh yeah, that, then I am quite young and I'm the pro- I am the appropriate age to be an authority on something. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? People will look at me and be like, oh, she's a woman who's experienced stuff. I'll listen to her, which can't, you know, I couldn't be a 23 year old, you know, little sassy pants, you know, doing that. Yeah, so I have all this life um, experience. No, nah, really. like at this point I have, but um, I take it back. I've learned to deal with 
with my, my weight. I struggled, um, through my teenage years and then, um, found fitness and health and that was fine. Um, that's my dragon that, that whole, I haven't accomplished anything mm. in my life right now because the plan was to be a movie star. Right. So I didn't, there was no backup. Like I don't have a business. I don't have a degree. I don't have anything like that. And so, um, I would say the last couple of years, that's been huge for me. That whole, like, how do I start over in my, in my forties? Like, what is this? Hmm. Since the thing that was going to be the thing in my life that I was like, that's what I'm doing. And then I, you come to the realization where you're like, all right, 20 years and I'm not on any TV shows and I'm you, not on any movies. Like I got to do something. Do you think it's starting over? It's just like taking all the experience that you've learned and applying it yeah. in, a, in a new way. Yes. I've learned to frame it that way, okay. but it, not for a while. And then, you know, I've had a couple, I've tried to open a 10th planet school a couple times and for various reasons it hasn't happened. And so I'm like, you know, those, those, I've had some pity parties that were like, I'm the biggest loser ever. Mm. <laughs> like I can't do anything. Um, but yeah, because I've had, I had to coach myself. So, um, so how my life coaching career came into play was because I was going to open a school and for various reasons it didn't work out. And I had just moved to San Diego and, um, then the pandemic hit. And so the world is in melting down and I'm, I'm personally melting down. Like what the fuck am I going to do with myself? Like the thing that I thought I was going to do, which was be this jujitsu coach and like lead a team is not going to happen. Mm. So what the hell do I do? So then I start breaking out all of these years of self-help and coaching materials. And I pull out like my Tony Robbins workbook and I pull out some other coaching stuff that I'd done over the years. And I pull out all my self-help books and I'm like, okay, you have the tools you got to figure this out because nobody is pulling you up. Like you're a puddle and like, you got to fix this. So I started working through all of the tools that people had given me over the years. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to get a, a life coaching certification. So I did all during the pandemic. That's like, I got the certification. And then I, I was like, that's how I reframe this. It's not that I don't have life experience. I do. I've had, I, you know, I ran a massage therapy business even though I was my only employee, I did that for 13 years and that was pretty successful. I've been a successful voiceover person and I am a successful coach when you frame it in a way that I've helped people. My students love training with me and so many of them come to me for more than just sport training. Mm -hmm. So when I started to tell people I'm a life coach, everybody was like, yeah. Makes sense. That's what you do. Sign me up. Yeah. So I was able to reframe it and that's where I am now. But that was my dragon for the last couple of years. Your ability to reframe is going to help anybody that works with you too. I mean, constantly, some people are a little more receptive to it, um, but like kind of helping them reframe through questions. I find myself doing that a yeah. lot and it can be helpful because I'm constantly reframing you have to, right? My own life. I, I think of actually a 10th planet. I was at a boxing class and it was, uh, was it Tiger Smalls Boxing? What's the uh, the dad's name? That's Tiger. Tiger. Tiger's yeah. the dad, Prince is the yeah. son. So Tiger's standing behind me and I'm jump roping and I've been jump roping for a while. Like I love it as an exercise. And so I've got really like, you know, kind of light footwork and, uh, and he's standing behind me. So I don't think he didn't know who I was or anything like that. 
And he's like, man, you got some light footwork. He's like, turn around. <laughs> how old? Like tiger he's, yeah, he's like, turn around. How old are you? And I turn around. I got gray beard. And I'm like, 34. He's like, okay. Like he told it was like a, <laughs> it was like a, instead of a, being a young, maybe someone yeah. I could work with, it was like, a, that guy's days like, are ah. gone. Yeah, I just got to get in shape. Like yeah. no, no future for that guy. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Tiger very well. I could totally see how this all just played out. That's exactly how that went down. There's a little part of me was like, there goes my fighting future. But, uh, our, you know, accepted yeah. it though. The more we can accept the truth, um, I think the more power we have over totally what we can do with it or, or the reframing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you, okay. I like morning routines. I'm like, I love talking about morning. Do you have a morning routine? No, I hate mornings. I, when I have to be up, I like I them, you. but I have insomnia. Yeah. So, talking about that. um, I think that's a myth by the way. I okay. don't believe, I don't believe in it. It's like the tooth fairy to me, but keep okay. going. Okay. Well, we can talk you, you are welcome to teach me how to sleep because I not only have problems falling asleep, I have problems staying asleep. So mm. there's probably at least a two hour chunk every single night that I wake up. Mm. Super frustrating. Cause I'm like, damn, I could be sleeping right now and then I'd be able to get up earlier. Um, I think some of it's hormonal, like, you know, in your thirties and forties, your hormones do crazy things. And, uh, I think, I internalize most of my stress, so I've probably blown out my adrenals and all of that. No, I don't have a morning routine because um, getting up is a big struggle for me. By the way, some people would say that adrenal fatigue is also... I know they say it's bullshit, but... That, that doctor that I told you, my a little meme yeah. from, so... Because I, I have some people that I'm really close to, and they strongly yeah. believe in adrenal fatigue. I 1,000% um, believe in it. I believed in it at one point. I don't... I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of it now, I think it's, um, energy in versus energy out and like consumption and a, a lot of things. Uh, man, I have worked out. I've gone, I've, I've done, yeah. Falling asleep is in almost impossible for me. Here's one of my many layers of theory on that. Um, one is we're talking about words. Mm -hmm. So if you continue to say, sure. so for, and so for, I've built that into my head for years, for sure. You gotta, okay. gotta change the words. Okay. Like, uh, I'm learning how to fall asleep okay. or some version of that. And it's crazy. Sometimes if you find the right word set and you latch onto it, it'll make sense in you my head. Fall asleep. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, why am I sleeping right now? This is crazy. Yeah. Uh, second thing is for some people, what I've found is that they had a quest. We'll call it a quest. Okay. That they weren't like fulfilling that. yet. And them waking up or not falling asleep was this extra energy, this gift, we'll call it from the creator, whoever okay. you believe in, or the aliens from Nibiru. Nibiru. It's the aliens talking um, to me. Yeah. I've heard that. Like uh, kind of witchy people are like, oh, if you wake up between these hours, that's the, like that's energy trying to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. That, um, I can see that like witchy people. I'm like, oh, that made me feel kind of weird. But uh, uh, there was a girl last year that um, we were talking about the same thing. And she's uh, from Brazil. She's a nanny. Um, you know, nanny wasn't like really fulfilling her. She was doing it. It was fun. And she loved it. She had a lot of time. And she was doing things like watching Netflix, like whatever. And she's also like, I'd watch it because I have trouble falling asleep. And so I fill my time with these things. And we talked about this like is there something you're supposed to be working on? Oh, interesting. Okay. About a couple weeks, 
like she, she knew in that moment, she was like, I do, I have an idea. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Um, she's like, I have an idea. Like she, if you could tell, she was kind of like, there is something, you know? Mm-hmm. And turned out she had a book. She had a passion for writing, but hadn't really fulfilled it. She had these concepts for a book, some stuff she was kind of working on. And after that, I'm getting the chills again. Yeah. After that conversation, she uh, decided, like, just made that decision. Like, I'm going to complete this book. Uh, a couple months later, like, she just went to town on it. She's like, I'm sleeping. I'm doing things I'm supposed to do. I feel good about it. Uh, started sleeping. And then she, I think she's in the final phases of publishing the book now or whatever. Interesting. Version. So I, and I have found the, I haven't had. So when I wake up in the middle of the night, you think I should get up and start writing a book? Maybe it's a book for you. Maybe it's <laughs> something else. I have found that uh, I'm a huge believer in like no electronics, all those things like 8.30, whatever, boom, off. What time do you go to bed? Um, before the pandemic, I was pretty good at going to bed at like 9.15 every night, 9.30. Wow. Uh, by the way, that, that, was early. that was a new thing for me. I didn't start okay. that until I was like 30. Before 30, I was like a little kid. Like, I didn't want to go to sleep. I was, like, constantly yeah. trying to do things to not go to sleep. I'd go to sleep anywhere from midnight to 3 a.m. Didn't matter what time I had to wake up the next day. I'd wake yeah. up at 6, like, exhausted because I just didn't go to sleep the night before. Um, I found that having a, a really strong purpose, like, for me, it was to take care of my grandma. Okay. I knew that to get all the things done the next day that I really wanted to do and to be great at them and show up, like, my best self – and be there for my grandma and like manage all these things, I had to figure out a way to go to bed early. I wasn't a reader until mm-hmm. I was 30. I found that reading made me super sleepy. So I started like getting everything done, preparing. The first time in my life I actually had a calendar and like prepared for the next day. Um, like I'd worked in wealth, man- wealth management, celebrity athletes, like all this stuff. Yeah. It was just kind of like whatever I woke up that day, that's what we were doing, you know? <laughs> like, oh, it's someone's birthday in six hours? Like, oh, I know you told me seven times, but it wasn't in my brain because live in the moment. Um, that helped me develop the habit of, hmm. of sleeping, that, like boring myself to sleep. Okay, um, sure. Uh, yeah. In the last year, it changed a lot. I found myself not wanting to go to bed as early, looking for more entertainment than normal. Um, waking up at two or three in the morning last night, I woke up. Um, now I also know if I were to actually like go and analyze, uh, everything I did yesterday and food and all the things leading up to it. Like I just changed up. I just started doing this rock thing, you know? Oh, yeah. You've never finished. Oh yeah. What? Whoa. Yeah. See, we went off on a couple <laughs> of different things. There. So I changed so much lately that if my expectations were, then nothing else would change. It could be kind of weird, but I know that anytime I've really analyzed something, there's generally a specific reason, mm-hmm. and it's usually not a Western medical science reason. Interesting. Um, yeah, the rock thing. I guess we didn't finish that. Yeah. So, what's his routine that you're following? We totally. I don't even know what I tangent totally, we went off on. Oh. I know there was Mark Wahlberg and there was the rock. Basically, coffee, cardio. My routine's a little bit. Oh, different. coffee, cardio. Breakfast, breakfast, wait, working out, yeah, and then wait. So, what does this happen like at five a.m.? I like to wake up at like four or four. That is crazy pants. I'm awake at that time, by the way. It's because well, I've woken up. It's it's gradually. I used to think like, okay, if I'm gonna start a new habit, like it has to start right now. 
Um, I found that in some cases that's true, but over time, like the reading thing, five years ago, it was, I would read one or two pages over and over and over because it would, I'd fall asleep and not remember what I read. Right. Uh, and then it became like enjoyable. Now I like, I try to find time to carve out for reading because I like crave it. In a okay. Sense. As, as would your room would suggest. Yes. Um, and there are even books that like, you can't even see. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. But a uh, morning routine thing. It went from originally it was like 5, 5.15. Okay. So I'd have just enough time to wake up, go work out, eat breakfast, and be ready to do things by like 7.30. Um, then it evolved to, okay, now I meditate in the morning. Like at first it was like five or 10 minutes. Now it's like a solid 20 to 25 minutes. There's things called transcendental meditation. I was just about to ask you if you yeah. do TM. I do half of it. I don't do the second half of the day. Um, Cause you're supposed to do it twice a day for 20 minutes. Okay. I enjoy doing it in the morning. I haven't really found a groove in the afternoon. Every once in a while I tell myself I'm going to do it. It doesn't usually happen. Uh, but then I also review. Um, I now really enjoying reading the Bible, usually for like seven to 10 minutes. It's a, it's really powerful. The words, the stories. Um, it's powerful because you believe it's powerful. I find the the stories. Think about the story of Joseph. Do you know that story? Joseph so, as in Jesus is. Is it Joseph? Dad? I might have messed up the story already. I, I mean, I no. know most biblical stories from growing up going to church, but the guy that like his um, brothers sold him to Egypt. I don't know. So, so there's a guy early on in like Genesis or early books, and I'm like, I feel like it's Joseph, but I don't know what I mess up. So, well, did you grow up with religion? Not exactly. Okay. I more like a heathen, more okay. like the opposite, like a tribal sacrifice, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm telling you, my mom like check kiting, like not a lot of structure <laughs> right. and religion in that lifestyle. Um, most people around me, a fair amount, are are devoutly into a particular. Like now in your life. Yeah. Okay. So that's actually one of your questions you asked is how to get the Book of Mormon. We want so many tangents. Uh, so I got the Book of Mormon because I went through the missionary learnings. Oh, interesting. Super fun. Um, <laughs> because I was really into it. And so when I got paired with these two, and I was from a client, paired me with these missionaries. Hey, Derek, we wonder if you'd be open. And I said, absolutely. Sign me up. So I like... I'm not going into anything unprepared. So I'm like researching, thinking, like all of my big life questions. I have my first meeting with the missionaries. They have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, <laughs> what? They're like, okay, we'd like to bring more people in. So the next meeting, there's like more people. Yeah. And the next meeting, there's, I don't know if this is like the natural progression, but by the final meeting, it was like the bishop for the How church. How many? Actually, I don't know. I've never, because I was born into the church. So yeah. I don't know the, um, the, that process. It seemed like an abnormal amount of people answering my questions by the end. Because you were probably asking questions that they couldn't answer. Well, and I think it was, uh, like, I have a friend that we're having a lot of religious talk now, and he mm -hmm. said, like, you're constantly challenging my faith. I'm like, I'm not trying to challenge your faith. I'm just like, That's the these are the question. questions that I have. If you ask too many questions, it, it, it basically untithe all of it. Well, I feel like they're, and I'm not trying to untie anything. I'm not trying to prove somebody wrong. And so. I mean, that's, that's what happens when you ask too many questions. Well, but I, and I also, um, I am a firm believer in like some sort of a creative force. Okay. Whether it's the ether or, yeah. you know, the programmer for the sure. matrix, right? Something. Because yeah. I have too many things that, um, are hard to explain. 
I'm with you on that one. Like for I sure. legitimately saw my soul one time. I believe it. <laughs> no drugs involved. None of that stuff from a one-day retreat meditation with a Buddhist monk. Interesting. And he walked us through a guided meditation in a room full of people. We're looking in a mirror at the end. And I saw a spirit-like creature come out of my body. And as soon as I recognized it, it hid. And I could even feel it. I mean, it was like crazy. Was it separate from you or was it you? Like when you separated it, like were you yeah. were you the spirit looking at your body or were you your body looking at the spirit? So oh, I'm getting the chills again. It's good stuff. Um, it really led me to the conclusion that there's the mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And so mind is like this thinking organism thing. Spirit is what happens when the mind is quiet. You realize like, there's a lot of belief systems that talk about this. Like, uh, I like Scientology is very fascinating to me. So they talk about, what do they call it? Um, kind of alien thing. It's like controlling your body from right behind it. Satan. Uh, it yeah. sounds like Satan, which yeah, is not yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Someone brought this up before. Yeah. Uh, and Mormon belief system, right? It's like you're from another planet and this is like your spirit world. No, I, the, the Mormon belief system is that Here's a funny story is that you can't, the, the goal is as a man is to, um, become worthy of becoming your own God on a planet. Hmm. Yeah. So if as a Mormon man, you follow all the rules and you do all the things you're supposed to do when you die and you go to the celestial kingdom at some point in time, you will get to create your own planets and be the gods of those planets, be the God of that planet. Here's what's funny is I accidentally be, that's that accidentally made me become a feminist because hmm. they never said this is specifically a lesson for the boys. They just said you. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be a god. Cool, me. But the truth is, in the Mormon religion, I could only ever be somebody's wife. I could be one of the wives of the god who created his own planet. But I didn't interpret the lessons that way. So unintentionally they made me the feminist that I am. So I was like, yeah, cool. Be good. Sounds good to me. Yeah. That sounds like from a religious perspective too. Like if I were a Christian, for example, for you to say that you are a God, yes. well, that is awful because. Because there's only one God. Yeah. But when you get into the theology, yes, there is one God of this world. The goal is to become worthy of being the god of your own world mm -hmm. in the Mormon religion. Well, and so that means that there's not just one god. Part of me really likes that concept in terms of yeah. like earlier we were talking about un unlocking levels of life. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things I find really fascinating is I don't often, whenever I have a really powerful life lesson, it does really feel like almost like a video game. Yeah. Like I just hit the next level. The level. Right? Remember Mario Brothers? like the original one. Yeah. Did you know like that little cheat where you could skip some levels? Yeah. Right? So it's like once you figure that out, like you can at least always get back to level five or six or whatever. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like life is like that, but you actually have to commit to the work and things like that. So you're, but it does, and there's all kinds of different mystical, spiritual things that say, um, like you're just revealing your true self. Yeah. Part of me goes, I can see how that makes sense. It almost sounds like, in the Mormon belief system from how you're describing it, that part of our mission on this planet is to actually to reveal our true power. Yeah, I think they believe that. Um, it's There's other layers in it. I mean, 
it depends on how you want to look at it. You could look at it that Joseph Smith um, borrowed from other cultures and religions and, and made some shit up that sounds good to him, or you can believe that he was divinely inspired, whatever. Um, could it be a little bit of both? If are you asking my personal opinion? No. Yeah, why not? My no. personal opinion is no. Someone told me this once. They said, what's the difference between a religion and a cult? Ooh, I think I've heard the answer to that, but I don't I don't remember what it is. Um, but my personal answer is none. Mm. Like, I, I don't believe that any religions have the answer. Interesting. I think the answer was, uh, in a religion, the leader has passed away. Oh, yeah, you have a choice to leave. In a religion, you don't have the choice to leave mm. leave in a cult, right? Is that? I think it is. They said, the, like they said it, the leader's dead, basically. They're like, in a religion, the leader's dead. In a cult, he's still alive. Oh, interesting. Or she. Makes sense. But yeah. I, because I was not a believer early on in life. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of reasons, I'm like, there's no way there is something, there's like Albert Camus, the stranger or something like that, where there's a type of, like a type of belief that, you believe that God is either dead or alive. Mm. Like you look at the world and you go, okay, where did all this come from? Well, yeah. it only makes sense that something, someone, some woman, some, some powerful some being powerful, yeah. like created it. Because even mm. if you go back to the Big Bang Theory, like who created or what created the particles for yeah. the Big Bang, like it had to come from somewhere. Yeah. There's a beginning. So they go, okay, so that makes sense. There had to be a beginning. But this is really hard. Like life is hard. People are mean. Mm -hmm. You know, being a human is really tough. So God, if he's this omnipotent being that loves everybody, like he's either asleep and this is a small fraction of time, he's taking a long nap or he's dead. Maybe like he just doesn't care about us anymore. Or he's not. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could look at it. We're an experiment and um, yeah, he's let up. They're letting it play out. However, it's going to play out or. Uh, that, you know, God might be like a malicious entity. Mm, that's... I, I've, yeah, I've asked that before. Like, why do, you know, why do kids get raped? And, you know, why do, why do dogs die? And why do, you know, why, why is there a whole bunch of bullshit? Like, why are the people that have to live such painful, awful lives? Um, and then some people who like get cake for life. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but there's so much unfairness that I have such a hard time believing that the the happy um the like the all loving God. No, I don't believe I don't believe that. Well, and that's and that's where I was at. Like I'd experienced so much stuff in life. I was like, there's there's not really somebody that cares about me. Like there's yeah. no way that so I was like, God's oh, dead asleep. What I found is I had this one extra special moment. And you can look at it two ways. You can look at the science route and say, oh, that's when your prefrontal cortex kicked in and you finally matured. Interesting. Or if you're very religious, you could say God spoke to you. Okay. So it doesn't matter how you look at it. There's That's what I like about both science or religion or God. Like most of the time you can find the same answers. It's, sure. it's worded differently. Um, that really changed who I was as a person. and uh, And I have felt like the more that I've gone down the path of working to understand that, mm -hmm. you could say, I don't want to say more powerful. That's maybe not the best way, but I, 
I feel like I've had a lot more influence over my reality. That makes sense. I also find that, and this is where I get into the fear-based thing and religion and talking to my friends that are really um, strong believers in a certain faith, is there's kind of twofold. One is when you have a set of rules or guidelines that make you a better person, if you're constantly thinking about and practicing, mm-hmm. well, you, if what you focus on you get more of, then you're by nature going to live a healthier, better life. Yeah. On the other hand, the more I dig into that, you know, tying it back to like uh, Napoleon Hill and outwitting the devil, if there is only positive and negative, um, leading by fear is very limiting. And so it limits your power at the same time. So it like gives you power and takes away from your power. Yes, you as a person, but not, I think, when institutions lead by fear. Or if you, you know what I mean? Like if you're a bad person, you're going to hell, then you get people to believe anything with yeah. that statement. That's strong. I mean, what's to keep, uh, how do you keep people from hurting themselves and others? I guess you just have to learn how to be a good person for the sake of being a good person, not because mm. there's some kind of punishment for you at the end of your life, because then are you genuinely a good person or are you just trying to avoid punishment? Mm, I like that. That is uh, your parking spot you got out here, by the way. Yeah. Uh, oh, shoot. I think I have to move my car at some point. Okay. Are we on a timer? How are we doing on time? I think we're going to. I don't know. I took my neighbor's parking spot, but I don't know. I think she it's gets five home. o'clock. She gets home from work later, so I think we're good. Okay. okay. I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Is your phone going to start blowing up too? I, I put my phone on do not disturb. I want to know how I many text know. messages I've received because oh. I don't know if you've noticed how much my phone's been blowing up. Yeah, this has been quite a, it's been a long one. Um, how are you doing on time? Should we wrap soon? Uh, 137 text messages. That's a lot of messages. That's interesting. I don't usually get that many text messages. I have no idea what's going on. I wonder if there's like a giant comment <laughs> headed towards her. Something major happened while you were here. What? 137? Is that not a normal amount? <laughs> no. What's like a normal amount over a couple hours? Uh, I don't know, like 20, 30? That's an abnormal. You, were, you weren't joking earlier when you said you were blown up. So. Yeah. Like well, you, the, my whole, like my little buzzer has your, been going off. Maybe we should get you out of here then. <laughs> Um, how about this? Did you, I know you had some things you wanted to talk about. Lead, lead the dance. Go for it. What do you got? Oh gosh. Actually, I don't have anything specific. Um, I think we talked about everything that we were going to talk about, but if anybody wants to, if anybody is still around at this point, I don't know Mm -hmm. if anybody's still listening, but if they want to follow me on social media, you'll get to see, um, kind of this new journey that I'm on with discovering self-defense and becoming even more of a self-defense coach than I've been for the last couple of years. So they can follow me at Donna Gonzalez 10 P on everything. Donna with a W D A W N A G O N Z A L E S 10 P. S instead of Z. That's important. Yeah. And then, um, would you mind giving yourself a, a plug? Cause I'm, I'm really fascinated yeah. by your uh, empowerment coaching. It seems sure. very multifaceted. Will you give us like a commercial on that? Yeah. Um, I, I'm on a mission to help people find their like their badass version of themselves. So that usually focuses on women. I teach jujitsu. I teach self-defense. I'm a life coach and I'm also a public speaking coach, which is almost accidental in all of that. But my mission really is to just help people find the most powerful, badass version of themselves and and live their life that way. Cool. Who um if you were to think of like someone that you'd have a ton of fun working with, like what does that person look like? Oh my gosh. Um, you. 
Mm. Yeah. So I, you know, walking and seeing all these different books, like we could have literally just pointed in any direction and been like, have a conversation about that. I'm all, I love people who love to learn and who are not afraid of learning anything. So you obviously know who Eddie Bravo is, my jujitsu coach. Our ju- like you are, if you train at 10th planet, you are of his lineage. Um, so I don't always agree with everything that comes out of Eddie's mouth. I love him to death. But the one thing, the one big lesson that I have taken away from him over the last decade of, you know, being in his life and being having him be a part of my life is question everything. Que- mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to ask questions. So anybody that I want to work with is a person who is not dogmatic about anything, who is not afraid to ask questions and is not afraid to be uncomfortable in their growth and their journey as well. That is an excellent way to bring this to close. So I'm crazy surprised it's five o'clock. I know. It's been uh, a good time. And uh, thanks for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, that's a crazy amount of time. Oh, my ears actually. We're like Joe Rogan level right now.